0: Welcome to episode 189 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line
1: from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, uh, you're back from your vacation, well, back from island time, and now in Chicago time. How's that feel? It, it's fine. I've got a great tan, which, which I'm grateful for,
0: but... The
1: island sun got you? Nothing like a Wisconsin
0: tan. (laughs) That's
2: right. We're all jealous of your northern Wisconsin tan. Absolutely. How do you pull that off? Were you just like
1: sunning yourself as a verb? I was outside a lot, basically. Oh, living the dream, man. Well, welcome back. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's northern Wisconsin.
0: It was also the jet ski I rented for an hour and and (laughs) took around the bay, took around Horseshoe Island. True story. Also with us, the godfather, Dave Harbarger. Two guests this week oh man spoilers two amazing Dose. that's right so i'm not
2: going to take up any more airtime. please continue
0: yeah please shut up and joining for a very special breakdown we have friend of the show NRG and boss and our friend here in chicago jesse robkin welcome back
3: hello thanks so much for having me
0: hi
2: jesse
3: hi dave
0: <laughs> i'm am for this this is awesome. I've I've known Jesse for years now, since pre-pandemic. And I'm- is that possible? Is there a time then? The old world, the old world, before the streets were overrun by rats. But we're not going to talk about that. Instead, on this week's show, we're kicking off the episode with a breakdown of the weekend's energy tournaments in St. Louis. Jesse played in the team trios main event as well as the modern 5K on Sunday. And we look forward to hearing how she did in both. Hopefully she did well. Otherwise, this could get awkward. (laughs) We'll find out in a minute. Then for the second half of the episode, we're joined by another friend of the show. Aspiring Spike returns to wrap up our reviews and reactions of Dominaria United. Two Dom, two United. But first, we have some housekeeping. Isn't this three Dom? Yes. (laughs) It's like
3: 20 Dom, right? All of them were Dom for a long time?
2: Yes. There's like 29 sets, I think they said, something like that.
3: Finally, Dom 29. Yeah,
1: (laughs) we've been waiting. (laughs) Was was there ever a set called, I guess Dominaria was Dominaria. Correct, yeah. So yeah, never
3: mind. It's Alpha, I think.
0: Yeah. We do have some new patrons to shout out, but we also want to share that there is going to be no new episode next week. Letting you know in advance, we're taking the week off for Labor Day, which is an American holiday where... Certain privileged people get the day off of work, and certain privileged kids get the day off of school. And as co-owners of Dive Down Media Incorporated, we agreed our staff deserve some unpaid time off for the holiday as well. So no new ep. We're
1: actually an LLC, Stan. True.
0: I should tell my accountant. (laughs) All right, on to the patrons. Shout out Barry F., Stephen K., Christian
1: S., and Jake H. Jake H. got in under the cut. Like fifteen minutes before recording time, Jake H appeared. So congratulations. Thank you all for
0: becoming citizens of the nation. Also, shout out to Matt and PA for leaving a friendly new review, a very honest review. It's a recommendation with a warning.
1: <laughs> yeah, you will buy more magic decks if you listen to podcasts.
2: Now, if we listen to Jesse talk about the deck that she played this weekend, you might be buying another deck.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. We'll see, but Thankfully, it's, it's pretty close to, like, other solid decks in the format, right?
3: Yeah, everything I do is with a warning, so that should just sort of <laughs> go without saying, I think, but I'm happy to say it. Yeah.
2: All right, real quick, we're going to get through these. If you want to find us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash thedivedown. If you would like to support us while you are playing Magic online, you can go to Traders and use code The Down 15 to get 10% off your first two months of rental cards on that service that we love and we use all the time. We talk about it every week, have for almost three years. If you would like to get some paper cards from our partner, Energy and Nerd Rage Gaming, you can use the code dive8 to get 8% off of your purchases there. And finally... Barrister and Man, if you would like to get any kind of grooming products, Barrister and Man will, is your person, the dive down 15 on your first order there to get 15% off. There's all the ads. See, we can do it faster than five minutes like we usually do.
1: No, we need more time on the ads, I
3: think.
2: Okay, we'll go back. We'll do it again later. Let's just redo it, yeah. We'll wait till Jesse's gone, then we'll record a full hour of ads like we normally do.
3: (laughs) You don't want me for the ads? I feel like I'd be so good at advertising Barrister and Man.
0: (laughs) It's, it's nice soap. I use the soaps. I love them. <laughs> it's a great
3: name for a thing. All
0: right, before we jump into the actual nitty-gritty tournament results, I want to talk a little bit about Jesse's background in magic. Because, frankly, I feel like you've had an amazing year as both a competitor as well as a content creator. Some people may not know this. You write for Tolarian Community College. I believe you helped write the scripts for some of the professor's videos. You've uh, you've won an NRG trial By now, I think people know that you came in second in the weekend's team tournament as well. You're qualified for the regional championship in Atlanta. Plenty of other achievements that I'm certainly overlooking. Like I mentioned earlier, I've known you for a few years now. I feel like I've I've been fortunate to kind of see you grow as a Magic player, as we all have simultaneously. Would love to hear what got you interested in competitive Magic, from our humble beginnings at the Dice Dojo to where you are now. And and likewise, what are you liking about the Energy Trial series and, and, and tournament series in general that kind of keeps you coming back?
3: Um, so I started playing Magic when I was a kid, just because my older brother and my dad played it but i didn't really get super into it i was much more of a Yu-Gi-Oh kid back in the day um so it wasn't until close to around the time we met stan that we uh that i started um playing it more competitively more seriously it was at a dice dojo pptq i think the last one they they held where i i top aided the event and i was like oh my gosh this is a rush that i haven't experienced anywhere else like i want to do this forever i guess i don't know we'll see forever (laughs) is a long time um it's funny i remember actually the first time i met you i sat down i was like starting to get into modern and i just like sat down at a modern night at an empty seat and you were playing phoenix um and you were playing terramanders at the time i think and we just like i think we had like a conversation about when to activate terramander or something to like play around a removal spell or something and then i went downstairs and hung out with my friends it was weird that i have that memory but yeah anyway
0: (laughs)
2: terramander and modern stan
0: you should be ashamed (laughs) hey there was a week there was a week when we thought this this was the answer
3: I love my scary Terry boy I can't I can't hate him
0: I'm touched you remember that because I also just have like these weird random memories about how I meet people for the first time and and um, I do vaguely recall the first time we had a conversation at the dojo though I didn't remember what it was about.
3: Yeah, I have a I have a weird memory for random moments like that. I didn't know like who you were at the time. I was just like, you know, this is the person I was sitting down talking to at the dojo. But yeah, yeah, it's weird. I don't know.
1: <laughs> As I agree. Uh, you've had a you've had a great year. It's been awesome to see you know the the Twitter handle T D Pills all over the internet of of magic this year. What is it about the NRG series? Because I wish I was in the Midwest to be able to capitalize on this series, but I feel like they're really you know, identifying the geographic niche, but it seems like they're run really well as well. And um, are are you just liking seeing the same people every week and being able to kind of go around Chicago and just keep kicking butt?
3: The energy series is incredible. I really can't speak highly enough um, about just how both, how well run the tournaments are. um, And I mean, every single one I go to feels even better than the last one I had been to in terms of the quality of the competition. um, The, smoothness um and the people you know in charge behind the scenes and you know the judges they have it, it's just been such a amazing experience this past year um getting to do these more and more with like the return of paper magic um i mean max con i would say is like a one of the main reasons why it's such an incredible thing he I mean, he, he as the tournament organizer for a long time was just such a it, it couldn't have happened without him now sam has come in and and picked up right where we left off. So that's amazing. I mean, Norm, Norm is, uh, wonderful. Uh, and everyone, the whole, the whole staff is just incredible. Um, and it's been cool seeing as people are so hungry for paper magic, it's sort of, they're coming up at exactly the right time in terms of just like the leaps and bounds they're taking every single, um, weekend that they have, uh, events. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really easy series to, to love and it helps that I'm based in Chicago and because it's the middle of the country, it's really, it's not, too hard for anyone really to get to even if you know you're from colorado let's say uh, there's an easy flight <laughs> to uh to a hypothetical you know. fake state called colorado
0: all yeah. right so we're gonna jump ahead of the actual team tournament results a little bit and just say it again your team finished second over the weekend in the in the trios trial you were in the pioneer seat playing mono green zoe readerman was in the modern seat playing living end and Piper Powell playing, is it Murktide and Legacy? With you and Pioneer, does that mean your seat one, all the way on the left? Is that how that works?
3: Yeah, yeah. I was always... Well, it depends on which side of the table you're on. But yes, on the left-ish. Um, yeah.
0: Cool. What was that run like for the three of you? Like, was it smooth sailings all the way? Or did you have, like, some nail biters, some winning ends?
3: Um, well, we had really good uh, team cohesion. And, and one of the things that we kept, like, talking about throughout the weekend was just how well uh, sort of balanced the wins and losses were sort of shaping up. Like, we all had moments where it came down to one of us and, and we clutched it out or, you know, whatever else. Like, um, we we all took a, a loss or two here or there. We all, we just timed everything really well throughout. Um, and it came down to the wire. We had, um, our, we took our first loss in round three. And in round four, I lost pretty quick, Three game match to uh, Heroic, which is obviously a, not a great matchup for my deck. So I was pretty nervous. And Zoe playing Living End was against Amulet Titan and was going into game three. Uh, and in game three, uh, at a certain point, she had missed a land drop. Her opponent had a relic in play. And instead of drawing the third land she needed, um, she drew her uh, Living End. And it, so I was just like, I felt like our tournament was over. We, we were two and one. And this was, it felt like the end of the, the road for us. Um, but then uh, I, and I, I turned to look at Piper's game um, and I, I don't remember a lot of details about her game. Uh, but when I looked back, Zoe had like cycled a, uh, had like somehow destroyed, I think it was like a foundation breaker or something, destroyed the relic, uh, used Waker of Waves to find another Waker of Waves and the land, been the other Waker of Waves, played the land uh, and then, you know, was cascading into a living end. And all of a sudden we had won the round. So it was at that spot that I was like, okay, I feel like, you know, things could go, go well for us here in round. I believe it was, so we were three and one after that. It's a seven rounder. So it was the second to last round. We played against Mason Clark's team um, of Will Pulliam, Mason Clark and Zach Allen. Um, And uh, Zach crushed Piper in legacy with his, he was playing Harlan's, uh, harlem Friars bant Stoneblade deck or four color stone blade deck i guess um and mason lost to zoe on living end in four color and it came down to me and will pulliam in a m- mono green mirror except he was splashing Bolos and i was splashing to fairy who slows the sunset and um we went to turns uh in our third game and i was like pretty firmly ahead and on turn one, I had a Karn activation. Um, I had already, unfortunately, wished for Damping Sphere to prevent uh, Will from using a bunch of mana and like getting back into the game. I, that's one of the ways I like to approach the mirror. I'm not sure if it's right, but I like to... If I can amass a big board before passing it back to my opponent, I wish for Damping Sphere or Statue or something to, to h- inhibit my opponent's mana so they can't catch up. And then I just say, all right, we have the resources we have right now. Let's see who can win from this spot, basically. And so I had done that the previous time I had wished with Karn. And uh, now it was on turn one of turns. I was going to win if we had 10 turns, but I only had three. Um, And I was trying to figure out the best way, and I was talking with my teammates, and I think we talked a little bit too much um, because uh, we missed two pretty, we missed either a very complicated line to win that turn or a pretty simple line to almost certainly guarantee the win over three turns and instead took sort of a middle of the road line and didn't accomplish what we need to accomplish. But basically I realized if I, I couldn't activate Nick for mana, but if I got chain veil uh, between Kiora and to ferry, I would be able to activate chain veil seven times and get a bunch of loyalty on my planeswalkers. And then, or I thought I could do an infinite, but then I realized Kiora would die. And so instead of what I should have realized was I can, with those seven activations, tap down all of Will's blockers in an attack for lethal. Because Teferi, little known fact, can also tap your opponent's stuff. Or I could have just gotten Pithy Needle named Lair of the Hydra, which was his biggest blocker, and then just attacked over three turns in the you know. Uh, but I did neither of those things and we ended up uh, on my last turn I couldn't quite kill him. And they declined to concede um, because that would have kicked them out of contention for top eight with a draw we were both theoretically live with a win in the next round. And then the next round showed up. Uh, we were in the feature match uh, and I was playing against Rakdos Sack and had a pretty crazy game three where I mulled a five on the play and got thought seized on turn one and managed to come back thanks to Cavalier of Thorns and his big butt. What? Wow. Um, so yeah, it was a really crazy, um, just a, a wild Uh, Swiss. The top eight was also crazy. I don't know how much, like how granular you want me to get with this, but uh, I would say uh, noteworthy things that happened in the top eight uh, in the quarterfinals. The the top eight, first of all, absolutely stacked. One of the most insane top eights. I don't know if you guys saw, but just some incredible players. Yeah, this is an unbelievable topic. Yeah, we'll,
0: we'll go over some of them in in, in a few minutes. But yeah, I will So I
3: won't go into too much detail about the people involved. But anyway, uh, in the quarters, it was a rematch against the team that Zoe and I had beaten uh, at the previous team tournament we played in. Uh, Andrew, Ellen, Bogan, Clay, Swickelmeyer, and Max McVitie, Um and I was playing against Max again. Um, and I joked about putting uh, Teferi in my deck so I could cast Spell Pierce off nick Those to try to you know. <laughs> uh, c- um as a little call back to the last match um and uh anyway i was against bant humans on the draw which is a not a good again not a good matchup for mono green and i managed to 2-0 despite mulling to five game one um and that was when i was like okay this deck is really really good um and piper beat clay in the is it mirror and we were on to the semis and then had another close match uh piper had a very close match in the semis over dredge with her is it deck which is a very bad matchup i i beat the red black opponent and then lo- we lost in the finals again to a very close uh match where it came again down to the third game of the third match against some c- good friends of ours Connor Milley, uh theo jung and uh max kaminsky so yeah it was really crazy um but it was a really amazing tournament it was just so much fun we, we were just all over the moon afterwards and we were excited for our friends to win, even though obviously we would have rathered one. Yeah, of course. How did you end up on
0: mono green? And, and like how much preparation did you have to do with this deck, um, to get ready for the team tournament?
3: Yeah. So I hadn't had a whole lot of time to test. I started my process on like Monday, like last Monday, but I had been keeping an eye on the format sort of from afar. And it seemed like mono green, splashing an uncastable Walker was the best deck to me. um, Is It Phoenix, I think, has some strength. I think Treasure Cruise puts that deck on its back in a big way, but I think it's really hard to build, and I'm not sure that there is the right build has been found yet. Or maybe there isn't really a perfect build right now, and that's its issue, and it's missing something to replace Expressive Iteration that it still hasn't gotten yet. So I was thinking about that. I considered Red Black because I knew that the, um, the field would be much more narrow because it's a team tournament. People want to play what they think is the best deck, Uh, for the most part and so I thought a red black deck that's tailored to beat mono green and is it phoenix and just sort of you know ignore the rest of the meta um but then when I built that deck that supposedly beat green I played against Connor uh who was my finals opponent um we played like three matches I think and I lost all three of them and I was like all right I'm off I'm off red black. I'm not gonna try to make this work. And he was like, Congratul uh, you're welcome for saving your tournament for you. <laughs> you're gonna play green instead. Um and so at that point it became, okay, do I want to splash bolas, Braska, or um Teferi who slows the sunset? Um and I played some with all of them, but I kept just coming back to Teferi because that card is so good. I cannot stress enough how insanely good it is in this deck, both at like its makes it trivial to combo you don't need very much i think you need like four devotion or something or like three devotion and a mana elf to get infinite life and with five you start generating infinite mana or something like that i'm not sure exactly what the math is right now and then the anticipate my big reason uh for playing it over nickel bolas is uh in a deck like this with a lot of air you have a bunch of bad draws uh, but then you also have a bunch of absolute heaters to draw uh, the minus two on teferi which is just the card anticipate um you look at top three you know and it's so much better to look at the top three and take the best card from among them than it is to just draw a random card even if you have to take your planeswalker down to do it um and, and then as far as bolas destroying a creature a planeswalker that's obviously good but like a lot of the times teferi does a similar thing of by tapping down the creature because all you need to do is you know remove a creature so you can kill a karn or something so you can combo uh teferi also taps your opponent's lands if you tap if you target a land so i was i played imagine testing as blue white control they played teferi on five ticked up and had dovin's veto mana open i had a teferi who slows the sunset in play in a karn and i used the teferi to um actually no i didn't even have the karn yet i had the the karn in hand i use it to fairy to tap my opponent's mana they floated white i went to main phase two they no longer had dovin's veto up and i cast the karn yeah. and got pith and Needle and name to fairy so it's just you know it's it's the type yeah. it just does everything the deck wants you don't need to permanently remove stuff you just need to tap things down and it's it's just so powerful it was instrumental in beating max in the quarters so yeah i'm a huge proponent of that card the only thing that tef- that bolas has that i think is like makes maybe makes you want to play it's the ability to like activate other planeswalker loyalties ability using the bolas but i don't think that's enough to get over i mean you maybe could play both but i think teferi is just so strong i want two copies of that card in my deck sick thank you for sharing all that um i learned a lot
2: the the evolution of this deck over the last three weeks has been so fascinating to me just with you know the unsplat uncastable planeswalkers ending up in here and like chain veil ending up in some of the builds it's been really wild to watch from the the sidelines of Pioneer mostly and especially since mono green like Nick, those decks have never been something that I've tried to do, you know what I mean? It's wild to see this be something that I think everybody's starting to acknowledge is probably the best deck in the format at the moment, depending on what build you want, depending on what kind of flavor. So it's cool. Not not sure I love it, but <laughs> but, it's, but it's, it's a beautiful piece of deck building for sure.
3: And also, the other thing about the white splash is um, I was playing one portable hole and one glass casket in my sideboard to get with Karn that I would only cast off Temple Garden. And that those those two cards were excellent all weekend too. Um, it's a lot less of a problem to have these cards that are difficult to cast if you're only wishing for them when you have the mana available and the Karn. Um, so yeah, that's also a big part of it. But yeah, I and technically Teferi is castable uh, even without an oath or a storm. Because of the Temple Gardens, because you have one Sylvan carry added to make blue mana, and then the other way you can make blue mana is with Kiora in play, you can tap Nykthos for blue and basically Teferi becomes a six mana planeswalker, which is still it's still good.
2: Oh, that's interesting. There's a couple of like backdoors into being able to do it too. I mean, being able to to search up point removal with Karn is something that doesn't happen all that often. So it's a cool, cool way to build the wishboard for sure.
1: No, that's awesome. Um, I'm. I haven't really had a chance to be playing Pioneer because I've been trying to focus a little bit on Modern. But Mono Green was my deck back when it was running Nyssa So I'm hyped to see all these new innovations and iterations. This this deck's getting banned. Like there's the, all 100%. these all of these <laughs> pi, like Planeswalker loops that have been discovered for like infinite everything is just this. That's going to break it. People got really clever and and broke the thing wide open. It's getting banned. I was trying. Yeah, to I don't be think nice any about other deck is okay. remotely close yeah (laughs) uh it was i think it was fine before like fine ish and now it's just dumb so ban the chain veil after (laughs) yes ban the chain veil after that positivity let's let's get into the the team trio meta game and let's talk about modern and pioneer we're not a legacy podcast you don't want to hear us butcher that beautiful format so the overall meta um i'm just going to breeze through these because we want to pick jesse's brain about the 5k the day after so we've got a little bit different than I'd expect. And I think this is a consequence, like Jesse mentioned earlier, of the team structure where people want to play, I think, both decks that are considered safe or maybe so powerful that they would win in the seat. uh, And and then... and then have one, either they'd win or they'd lose. Like, and then the other person could pick up the slack, like the other two people rather. Like, so what I'm looking at is we've got 23 copies. So there's 107 teams, by the way. We have 23 copies of four colored blank featuring Yorian. So that's 21.5% of the meta, which to me is like, this is the safe choice, right? This is the safe deck. And then right after that, I think we have the deck that I was kind of referring to as the you're going to win big or potentially get hated out, which is Living End at a a mere 11 copies or 10% of the meta. And, you know, uh, Zoe was on Living End. Did you all have thoughts about, like, picking Living End or was it just like, that's Zoe's deck, that's what she's going to play?
3: A little bit of both. Zoe is just one of the best Living End players in the country. Um, And also, uh, it's just so comfortable with the deck. Finds very like you know uh, lines that are hard to spot things like that, but I also it's just like you said it, um, it's very powerful, very proactive, very punishing uh, of mistakes and stumbles, and so it's exactly the type of deck that I personally like having on my side in a team tournament like this, as opposed to four color blink where I think four color blink is the best deck, but I think um, there's something that very appealing about having a very proactive linear strategy that if if you get got by the person who brought for Leyline of the Void. All right, well, well, we got you. Don't worry, you know. So that was the primary conversation. I'm not sure for future events uh, if she's still going to be playing Living End. That remains to be seen. But it felt like the right choice for the weekend.
1: Got it. Then we've got uh, Azorius Hammer at nine copies or eight and a half percent. Amulet Titan at eight copies, seven and a half percent. Is it Murktide? Finally shows up at a mere six copies or five point six percent. This is the surprising one to me, and maybe it's just like, hey, if we're going to play. The, the 53% you know grinded out style deck maybe was going to play the four color blank deck instead but that's that's really a surprise to me it was just to see that is it Merktide was so low in this team tournament any thoughts on that jesse i
3: i was pretty surprised honestly too I, I didn't know that that was true but that's that's wild um i actually tweeted before the event that if i was in the modern seat i would have played Merktide, um but i i mean i don't know i I don't feel like I understand exactly why that is, except maybe that people just default to floor color because it's a team tournament, but it's definitely surprising. It seems like something to keep watching. See if that's true for solo tournaments as well. And we will
1: see a difference in the 5K with the metagame breakdown. Uh, it's a little bit of a foreshadow there. I'm just going to breeze through these. We got four color elementals at four and a half percent. Teamer Rhino shows up at about 3.8 with Burn also at 3.8. Mono Green Tron making a little bit of a comeback at three whole copies, but it's 2.8 percent of the meta. And then decks below two percent are 34 copies, or 31.8% of the meta. So a little bit different than kind of what we've been seeing, and I think it's a consequence, again, of the, the team structure, perhaps. And then Pioneer gets, this is basically Pioneer, right? This is Mono Green Devotion at 13%, Rakdos at 12%, it Phoenix at 11 Boros, Heroic, a little bit higher than usual at 9 Azorius Control at 55 with Mono White Humans, an up-and-coming deck at 4.7%, uh, Grease Fang, at four copies, or 3.7%. And then we've got a bunch of stuff at about 2.8. Ban Humans, Rakdos Sack, Spirits, Mono Red Aggro. And then decks below 2% are 31 copies, or 29%. So similar percents of kind of our rogue strategies, one and two offs, and things like that. Jesse,
0: with Mono Green being the most popular deck in, in the Pioneer seats, did you have to face a lot of
3: mirror matches? Yeah, I played in the Swiss, I played... I believe, two mirror matches. I might be misremembering, but one of them was the Vraska build and one of them was the Bolas build. So I didn't play any Teferi, uh, Teferi mirrors until the finals.
0: Do, do you feel like Teferi maybe helps break the mirror or are, are there any other cards in that flex slot that could be better at it?
3: I think everyone thinks that their Comfort Planeswalker is the thing that breaks the mirror, but um, I am of the opinion that uh, Teferi is far and away the best card to have in the mirror.
2: I just want to note I love the term comfort planeswalker and I think we should keep that around. So let's let's put that in some document somewhere and agree to use it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so Pioneer looking like what we thought it was gonna look like. Why don't we talk quickly about the team, the team that you played in the finals, just to kind of give them a tip of the hat and c- congrats. So they were playing Connor Mullally was in Pioneer, as you mentioned, on Mono Green Devotion. You know, you played be- before the tournament, it sounds like you were testing testing with them, and they had the Teferi build, so that was your mirror match, like you said. Uh, Max Kamanowski uh, was in Modern on Is It Murktide. Um, that's Twinless Twin, right? So pretty, I don't think we should be too surprised that that they were on Is It Murktide. And then is it Delver with Theo Young in on Legacy? Um, you know, definitely the decks that are sort of, you know, one way of looking at being the class of all of those formats right now with a little bit of a question of whether you would rather be on the four-color deck over Merktide, or if you want to be on something like the deck that you all chose with living end but you know a lot of um a lot of kind of the cream rising to the top here i think with the, the decks that people might expect to be at the top of the results being at the top of the results
3: which is great yeah definitely um connor is a good friend of mine so we we he had told me earlier in the week that he was just going to play copy paste my 75 but he lied he played 73 of my 75 so Ugh, turns out why scoreboard i guess he beat me so <laughs> what was the difference do you mind sharing yeah, he had two Bisejus, uh, which I think was a good choice. So over one of the basic forests, I only had one Besejus. And then he's only playing one Voracious Hydra. And I don't remember what his sideboard card was. Instead, maybe like a transmogrifying wand or something. But he had, I played two Voracious Hydras in my sideboard. He only played one. Got it.
2: All right. So Jesse, it turned out that was just the beginning of your weekend. Kind of,
3: right? Uh, Yeah, it was, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we get to Sunday, get to the 5k, the modern 5k that happens. And what, what did you decide to play in that? And kind of, do you want to tell us
3: why you decided to pick it up after um, after what you played in pioneer? It's sort of a combination of things. So I I played, is it breach, which is sort of the deck that started my magic writing career, I guess you could say uh, in a lot of ways, because of the article I wrote for TCG player Um, and coming back to breach, it felt good. It felt like a homecoming, you know, Part of why I played it was because it was a 5k. And I, so it was like the stakes felt a little lower to me. Um, and I, you know, just played the stock best deck and I wanted to have more fun. However, it's also a sort of case of deciding to trust my own eyes and experiences about the quality of this deck. I have a lot of very uh, friends who are very, very good at this game who do not believe in this deck, who do not think it is a good deck. Um, and I would like to say for the record that they are wrong. This deck is very, very good. <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't care if they, they can point to the card grinding station all they want and say, this card sucks. Uh, the deck is so powerful. Uh, it's so hard to be, it's, it's hard to play against. Um, and it's very well positioned in a meta that has had to adapt to, is it, or team or creativity. So to talk about a little bit why this deck, uh, I feel like is really strong right now. Uh, aside from just like the card, the deck itself uh, being highly synergistic and proactive um, and and the addition of Ledger Shredder as like an additional threat that both filters to your combo and you can dump cards that are not good like Grinding Station into your graveyard, get them back later when you're ready to combo while growing your creature, finding your cards that matter in a given matchup. All that stuff is is why the deck itself is good. But in terms of the meta, it was really struggling uh, it used to have decent four color matchup before living end sort of blew up um, but then with the rise of living end sort of pushing all the other combo decks out of the equation, four color kind of only had one combo deck to worry about and it was living end and a lot of the cards that are good against living end are also good against uh, cast or against uh, breach you've got chalice of the void which you can cast for zero you've got endurances and then all the stuff that's good against hammer like the artifact removal stuff is good against breach so it was just it was a very hostile meta to be playing breach for some time but with the rise of creativity uh, there are now two combo decks that are putting pressure on four color from different directions you've got this more spell-based combo that has like deals with the battlefield and stuff like that with uh like a bunch of tokens on the battlefield in creativity and uh, which is just an entirely different angle of attack than what living end uh is coming at <laughs> my sorry my brain's a little mush right now
2: it's all right yeah you paid like you played like twenty five rounds of Magic over the weekend, so don't don't apologize. <laughs> yeah, it was absurd.
3: Um, so yeah. anyway, um, so what the what four colors had to do is play a bunch of fluster Storms to try to beat because it does plays double duty against both uh, Living End and Creativity. That card does not do anything against Breach, and therefore their sideboard is less stopped. It's not like they're thinking about Breach from building their sideboard, but Breach is getting a lot less splash hate than it used to. And then the other big change is uh, Ledger Shredder has made the Murktide matchup and the Rhinos matchup much, much better. Those were previously very bad matchups. Now I think Murktide is actually slightly favored for Breach because Ledger Shredder is both a powerful threat on its own, it finds your more relevant cards, dumps your cards that are not as powerful in a matchup where generic uh, standalone card quality is very important. And then I think most importantly, it punishes your opponent for cantripping to find uh, relevant answers they can't really just be casting considers willy-nilly because it'll trigger your shredder. And so they have to be much more conscious about when they're casting their spells, which means it's a lot less likely that they'll have the right interaction they need at the right time.
2: That's so fascinating that that the development of another deck opens up a space for this deck that, you know is it breach has been around in various forms for a couple years now a year and a half i guess but this new version that you've got a chance to write about and also the one that's been improved with letter, sh- letter shredder you know i know Ross Merriam won an rcq with it six weeks ago or so maybe a month ago and then i was excited to hear that you picked it up again because i knew that this that kind of special place in your heart and so it was great to see this happen where you kind of went on this run with this deck that you've been championing recently which is so that that, that's awesome but it's it's interesting to be able to pinpoint kind of this is the place that opened the opportunity for me to be able to do this again it's really cool and i think it speaks a little bit about you know a lot of people feel like you know we're going to Everett, a little bit later in this episode, about how stale is modern, is modern stale. And, you know, I think there's still opportunities for innovation, even if it's doesn't, even if it isn't always something that's going to completely change the meta breakdown in the percentages, there's still chances to kind of shoot your shot, you know, with the stuff that you like.
3: Yeah, I think uh, I still am of the opinion that four colors should be banned at the very minimum with like a Yorion ban. I think Ren and Six and Omnath would also be good bans. Um, either one or both. Um, but, and I've talked about that before, but I think creativity has saved modern in a lot of ways in terms of like the uh, diversity you've seen hammer come back in a big way because it has a good creativity matchup. So just having this different combo deck that, cause living End was pushing down all these other, co- it is, you know, living End ate uh, drank the milkshake, let's say of the, you know, uh, Tron of Belcher of these other like combo decks that are very good against four color. Finally, you have a, a deck where, like, with creativity, you can discard an Archon to hand size. All of a sudden, you have a good living end, you, a sure. good planning against living end, right? So, um, yeah, uh, it's been huge for for just making the meta more diverse, more interesting. But I still think four color could be banned. I agree. I'm am fine with it.
2: We'll, we'll have you back <laughs> on the, the full episode about that sometime. But yeah, <laughs>
3: once <laughs> yeah. they finally ban it, I, I think we have a quorum
1: on the ban on the bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, it's a. Uh, I don't want a, people a core to um, uh, uh, among the four of us, at least people are going to write in and be like, we don't need anything banned. We're going to get long comments on the YouTube video and stuff like that. So, you know, the comments, Jesse, uh,
3: you, you probably see the comments on, on you've read, you've TCC seen comment? stuff now. So one or yeah. two. Oh yeah. The comments they'll get you. Uh, I apologize <laughs> for using the B word on this, uh, on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Um, do you want to run through this? Uh, the, the Some of the five K like top eight or something like that. How should we approach this? Sure. Um,
0: I'm happy to do that really quick. Uh, obviously, Jesse, first place with is it Breach, playing against Jordan Litsky, who finished in second on Mono White Hammer. Ivan Espinoza. So actually, I don't know if Ivan is actually in third place because it looks like there was a split in the top eight. So between third and fourth place, we have Ivan Espinoza on Four Color Elementals, as well as Travis Brown on Blue White Hammer. And then between five and eight, Eighth places, we've got Garrick Alford on Blue-White Control featuring Narset, Days Undoing. A combo that's been coming up a little bit more frequently lately in the hands of, like, Gabe Nassif, um, and and I believe Wafo, as well as Mr. Kofolet, have been championing this, like, combo angle to Blue-White Control. Pretty interesting discussion about it on Midweek Metagame recently.
3: Uh, I think it's a lot better than normal Blue-White, and you know I love normal Blue-White, but, um, yeah, I... I played against it in the quarters um, and game two was very wild where they had a rest in peace and a chalice on one in play and they, Narset wheeled me down to zero cards in hand and I still managed to win. So that was, that was a really exciting game.
1: (laughs) I mean, I've heard that take, like I've, I've, you know, people are kind of like, you know, like I've seen people win after getting narset days undoing like it's not like a game winning combo it's just kind of like a high value and like your you know the advantage bar slides a little bit in your favor but it's not you know it's not lights out by any means especially in today's modern
3: yeah and i had a i already had a couple creatures on board i think too and he drew counter spells so it was you know it is a maybe an issue with the deck that it can pull off its combo and then lose but so can rhinos that's how you know it's a good combo The the next
0: player in this bucket is Charles Eiler, who was also on blue Eye control with Narset Days Undoing, followed by Gabriel Ebadi on Grixis Asmo Food, a deck we haven't talked about in a while. I'll just mention real quick, it's got Asmo Ragavan and Voldaren Epicure making an appearance in Modern. Not sure I've ever seen that card in this format. Uh, plus Ledger Shredder along with Oval Chase Daredevil to combo with the Underworld Cookbooks, and four Galvanic, uh, and Shrapnob- and a couple of Shrapnel Glass as well. So, not an angle I've seen in previous Asmo food builds, but definitely looked cool there. And finally, to round out the top eight, Chris Smith on Green Black Moth. and then just an honorable mention to the ninth place deck, Teamer Control Shane. I hope you're sitting down. Ice Fan Coadle, Brazen Borrower, Subtlety and Fury, plus Ren and Six and Narset Days Undoing. <laughs> plus Bolt Counter Spell and Express Iteration, Dave, that's for you too. And some dress downs. And it even has four ragavans in the side.
3: Holy yeah, I week. didn't know that, that deck existed, but that's <laughs> yes. that's incredible. I I would like to concede my spot at the top of it to this deck because that's what a what a absolute mensch. <laughs> yeah.
2: Beautiful. I'm going to have to read the whole list later and then dream of it tonight.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I, I can play it ahead of our next episode in a couple of weeks. Does it cost like 1,800
2: tickets to rent on, on, uh, Manitraders or?
3: I mean, it has to, right?
0: Yeah. Well, that's how you know it's good. That's true. Bigger number, better deck. All right. Th- this was really fun. Um, Jesse, congratulations again on your awesome weekend making Chicago proud at NRG. Any parting thoughts on kind of the tournament, the weekend, anything you haven't had a chance to share that that you'd like to about either the decks you've played or maybe even next steps for you and, and what you're going to be focusing on now that you've qualified for the RC?
3: Yeah, I I would say I don't have a lot of very articulate thoughts right now. My brain is uh, mostly empty at this point. Um I, it's just been It was such a wonderful weekend, such an incredible experience. Um, and feel really good about Breach. I think if you're really interested in playing it, you should pick it up. You should start practicing. Definitely a deck that rewards practice. As far as what I'm going to be focusing on in the coming weeks, um, I've got to start thinking about Pioneer, although uh, the RC is two set releases away. So um, there's only so much practice that can really be done at this point and testing and stuff. I think that I'm a little nervous about just acquiring the right, the cards from brother's war <laughs> in time for this, because this is literally day one brother's war pioneer. Um, so that'll be a, an adventure uh, for future me to deal with um, and future everybody who qualifies to deal with. Um, so yeah, that's, that's gonna be exciting. Um, I have one more energy weekend. I have to solidify. I, so after this weekend, I got 50 NRG leaderboard points and I would very much like to, uh, I shot me up to the top of the, the leaderboard and I would like to stay there for the remainder of the season. So I've got Minneapolis coming up in September. I'm going to have to put some, some work into, um, I guess my parting thoughts to everyone, uh, below me on the leaderboard, uh, many of whom are dear friends of mine is catch me if you can. Tt T,
2: Great. Awesome. All right. And, uh, just before we go, where, where would you like people to find you? Twitter? You have some videos coming out you want us to be aware of or any of that kind of stuff?
3: Yeah, uh, at Titty Pills on Twitter. That's T-I-D-D-Y-P-I-L-L-S. I, I did it right this time, Stan. You can also, you can find, I don't ha- have any new articles yet on TCG Player, although I imagine I'll be writing something about Breach coming up soon. So keep an eye out for that. Um, you can find the scripts I write for, or the, the videos that I write for TCG, uh, Tulare Community College on uh, the Tulare Community College YouTube page. I write, uh, many of them these days. Um, I also have, I'm on his like upcoming shuffle up, shuffle up and play. It was just announced as of today, which will be next week. We're playing no bandless modern. Um, There's a surprise guest. It's going to be, should be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Sweet. I'm excited to see
2: that video. Thanks so much for having me. It's extremely overdue. So we're, we're happy that you agreed to come
0: on with us. Appreciate it. For sure. All right, just get some sleep, rest that brain of yours thank you oh my gosh <laughs> all right we're gonna take a quick break and when we return Jess will be gone but Everett will be here and we're gonna talk about the latest cards from Dominary United we knew we now have the full set spoiler cover on what we think will be useful in Modern and Pioneer what dreams may come stay with us So guys, I'm back from vacation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know how like you're on vacation and you have to use that horrible hotel bar soap. I'm also in Northern Wisconsin where I, I bathe in, in well water. So just like every day I just feel slimy or I felt slimy. I'm, I'm home now, but I felt like slimy and icky and never fully clean. Didn't actually smell right. I cannot begin to tell you how amazing it felt to finally get home take a nice hot shower in Lake Michigan's fresh water supply that we get for free in Chicago with a bar of Barrister and Man lavender soap. I just like finally felt clean for the first time in 10 days. I smelled like myself. Do
1: you smell like lavenders kind of all the time?
0: It felt good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a purple flower boy. <laughs> I've, I've always said this
2: for some reason i'm just imagining the like a stand walking down the street and just flowers growing behind him and a bluebird flying and landing on his shoulder all of that kind of that kind of thing going on in your return your triumphant return to chicago uh, where you brought back enjoyment and a bunch of coffee for me yes you
0: brought back what special wisconsin coffee I, I, that thank you for reminding me that coffee's on my desk i have to get it to you somehow dave but i brought back coffee and most importantly i finally got to take a shower this is a true story. Like Well water is horrible. I don't know how people live with it.
1: <laughs> they probably have complex like filtration systems that the, ca- the cabin doesn't have. You said you didn't want to get letters this week, and now we're going to get letters from people who have well water.
2: Well, I'm excited for, for well, you. I've ju- well, well, <laughs> well, 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 well. Uh, I've just been continuing to enjoy the soaps and the beard oils that I've been using lately. In particular, switch back over to that Seville beard oil from oh, yeah. my uh, from my general sandalwood before. I like to mix it up. Sometimes I do a drop. Sometimes I do one drop of sandalwood on the uh, left no. cheek, do one drop of Seville on the right cheek, and just kind of see where the weekend takes me. You know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> you see where you get the most looks, from what side of your body? Yeah, I, I ask people on the
2: street, well, do you like this one or this one? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've been thinking I have like five shaving soaps now and like it's honestly I love having the variety. And like it's well another thing I appreciate is like it's you know, it's like literally like what, like thirteen, fourteen dollars for like the shaving soap tin and it, it's like lasts forever for me and I highly recommend getting a little bit of variety for yourself uh, whether that's in the the body soaps and hand soaps or fragrances or beard oils or you know shaving soaps and that's what i you know continually like to say about barrister and man is variety is the spice of life and i totally love all the different things we can get there so if you want to save 15 percent off your first order use code the dive down 15 at barrister and man and uh that let's will know that we sent you appreciate it
0: All right, and now, Evert Mohan, a.k.a. Aspiring Spike, a.k.a. the Dallas Fort Worth killer, is here with us.
4: <laughs> I've never been called that. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that's unfortunate.
4: Oh, man, well, it's probably going to stick.
0: <laughs> Everett, good to see you, buddy. It's been a while since you've been on the dive down. Way too long. You've Why,
1: why have you been so busy?
0: Uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. A lot of magic sets. Yeah, you've
1: had, you've had a lot of this. I mean, you you're uh you're you know you got a ton of videos on YouTube now, and you're I feel like you're you're more of a professional streamer than ever. Uh,
4: some may say some many many people are saying this. I, think.
1: <laughs> I have no
0: uh, no comment on the matter. Really, none
4: i don't know it is what it is
0: (laughs) it's been so long since you've been on the show that the last time we actually saw you was in person when we got to hang out briefly in dallas yeah i wish we could hang out
4: longer there was something going on that weekend i can't remember i think
0: that you had just purchased a home
1: yeah yeah that was it It, so there was a lot
4: (laughs) yeah yeah we were moving yeah yeah
1: another time Maybe in Atlanta. How was the move? How was everything? Uh,
4: it sucked, but you know every move does. And it's done. Now the home is nice. I'm here. It's good. Love it. Love it. Congratulations. Well, well it's Thank really good to you. see
0: you again, and uh, I always admire the background. <laughs> you, Your frog ninja. I actually. What's the,
4: what's the card called?
0: Jade uh, Avenger. Avenger. <laughs> I recently opened an MH2 set booster that I got as a prize pack and it had three copies of jade avenger all three were like different like it was a reggie the test art or whatever it was called like the <laughs> yeah. sketch art and then I a foil know, they, one
1: they did a sketch art jade avenger <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> i have all things
0: i have i have all of them
4: uh up here and i actually got to meet the artist uh chris seaman i think at at dreamhack and I bought you know the, the, all the prints and everything. He's like, yeah, Jade Avenger is super popular. I have people asking me for it all the time, <laughs> and I can't help but think I was a small part of that. You know, yeah,
1: you're a taste maker. I think maker. you were probably a huge <laughs> part of that. Ever, let's be honest.
4: <laughs> Just love the card.
1: Well, welcome back to the show, and it's good to have you on. What uh, I think we're gonna do this week is well i think it's, it's it's a funny episode because we talked about uh, many of the cards that you know you you talked about in your um talking about the new modern cards from dominaria united a little bit on the nose uh, youtube video title but i'm sure a, a few thousand people have watched this at, at this point in time and what we want to do is kind of go over your list Hear your uh, takes. There's a lot of cards that are on your list that we didn't get an even chance to talk about last week because they weren't out. And I think incorporate um, our thoughts on those as well and just kind of piece a little bit together from uh, our buddy Spike and our brains. Yeah. I would love to ask one question before we do this.
2: If everybody feels okay with spending a couple minutes on this, I I would just love to know kind of like what you like. Can we, is there a short summation of what you can? tell us about what you think about modern right now. Like, cause it's been a minute since we've heard your perspective on the show. Modern is in a moment for some people. We're coming towards the middle end of RCQ season. I, I just would love to hear like your impressions of the format at the moment, how you feel about it.
4: I would say in a moment is definitely a good definition. Um, I kind of feel like I was ranting about this on stream, like a lunatic recently. Perfect. But I kind of feel like everybody else has been playing a different format than I have. Really? Where, yeah, because people complain endlessly, way too much about, in my opinion, or at least to me, they complain to me too much.
2: I'm sure. About yeah.
4: how uh, Modern Horizons 2 has ruined Modern, changed everything, warped everything. But at least in my experience, Modern has been a format full of change and new stuff taking hold for the entire time I've been playing it, like eight or nine years now. Uh, and we even like mapped out those like last eight or nine years. And... If anything, <laughs> this era post-Modern Horizons 2 has been, like, the most stable era with, like, the most different archetypes represented with the, the biggest amount of diversity in archetypes represented and in Modern's history. And I'm having a ton of fun. I actually – what's really weird is this is also, like – why I think why, – why I really think there's, like, so much angst towards Modern at the moment is that we're going through the longest period between set releases – in the format's history. And people are bored because there's no new cards to play with. And um, I think they're channeling that boredom into their frustrations about the format. Because Modern's always been a a format where you're really hot and cold about it. There are aspects about it that you really like and there are aspects about it that you hate. You hate your Omneth, you hate your Creeping Chills, you love your Tarmogoyves, you love your Inquisitions of Kozilek's. Um I love Creeping Chills. Yeah, you, you love your Creeping Chills. There's every Everybody has like cards in Modern that they're really like cold against and cards they're really hot for. And I think that that's actually a really good thing. I would rather have a format where people are hot and cold and there's things they really like and things they really dislike than than being just lukewarm. Obviously, ideally, they would just be hot for everything, but I don't know how possible that is for a format like Modern. And, and at the very least, the entire time I've been playing it eight or nine years, it's always had like <laughs> glaring issues. But ultimately, for me, it's been very fun. And I've actually feel like I've had a more successful time like brewing and innovating in like the last three months that I have in like, you know, like the six or seven months before that. And so...
2: Yeah, I I was going to say, you know, one thing that I think people should continue to just remember about you or like if they don't check out your content all the time and they're frustrated with Modern, they should. Like, you do manage to put together new deck lists, interesting deck lists, revitalized decks that sort of have come and gone. Like, I know you've you've been really into Bant Soul Herder lately. You know, that's a deck that kind of made some waves a year and a half ago or so, you know, kind of fallen off the radar, bring it back. You know, you have done a lot of stuff with playing things like, you know, bractos mid at different times when people aren't really into it in that case or i think that you were even playing the scam deck at different points in time and things like that and just you know there are decks out there to be to be found still even though we are still sort of playing in a metagame that's defined by merktide and four color and things like that but That can be good for brewing too sometimes, right? You know what the problems you're trying to solve
4: are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's usually two times of brewing. There's there's brewing to try to figure out something that slots into a particular metagame or you're brewing to just find a a powerful new strategy. And I I do think that, I think modern is like way more open than the the average player perceives it to be. And I, I will say that I'm having like, as much fun now with the format as I've ever had. This is like definitely been a really high peak for me, and so that's kind of another thing when I, when I say I feel like I'm playing a different format from like the average player base, or or from like the average modern player. Is that there's I I do definitely hear the general angst about modern at the moment.
0: I wonder whether the angst you're referring to that's caused by the length between standard sets, yeah, might also stem a little bit from the fact that people might be forgetting that standard sets. Barely impact modern, and when it's a significant impact, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's it's, it's often things like Tibble's trickery that just like <laughs> is a mess that needs to be addressed quickly. But even some of the sets that recently have impact modern, like the Wandering Emperor and the Bird Advisor, who I play Ledger constantly, Shutter. Ledger Shutter. Ledger Shutter. yeah, it's just like it's a handful of cards from a standard set that like become present and may even be important, but they're not instantly format defining, so to speak. Yeah,
4: I'm sorry. Don't don't mean to
0: catch up. Well, and and the second part to that is I also wonder if, like, on the one hand, I totally agree with you with what you're saying about the state of modern right now and how stable and, and generally excellent it is as far as formats go. And I wonder if people are, like, upset that it took something like Modern Horizons 2 to get us there, rather than the history of Magic kind of contributing to overall game health, rather than, like, WotC doing this very specific product that kind of fixed the format once and for all or at least until it breaks again. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's, those are the kind of usual complaints you see,
4: that they they would have wished that Modern would have been more fixed through standard sets, slow, incremental change. But in my opinion, at least, the reality is like they failed to do that for years and years and years. And the, the state of Modern that it was in was unfixable, I think, from just standard sets. And I think Modern Horizons 2 was a really good solution to fix a lot of the glaring issues from years. I wish that it was better before Modern Horizons 2, but... There, there. As, you know, I also, I also say this. I, I think that um, Strixhaven was the start of magic design that I am like happy with, and think I think that wizards have been doing like a really, really good job design wise since like Strixhaven. Maybe Call Time, but not really Call Time because of Tibble's Trickery and Valky. But before that, since like, since War of the Spark to Time, we had the worst era of magic design in the game's history, where you have War of the Spark into Modern Horizons 1, into Throne of Eldraine, into Ikora, into Theros Beyond Death, into both of those core sets in that, in that time period, where it, all of those sets had just some of the most game-breaking, obnoxious cards ever printed. You You could list like 20 of them and multiple ones in each set. And the fact that, you know, you can have issues with Modern Horizons 2's design. It was not a perfect set. I think Ragavan and Ursa Saga 2 pushed. You can have issues with some of the Evoke incarnations for sure. But none of those cards are banned in modern. And none of the cards in any of the standard sets have been banned in modern since then. And I think we, we finally moved past that era where it's like two cards were being banned every single set for, for like a year plus, two years. Um, and I I think that design in general is in good shape, but the reality is we still have kind of those echoes of those, those years of really, really horrendous. People, people always call it fire design, but I feel like you know, fire stands for fun, inviting, replayable, and exciting. And I feel like a lot of these cards from that era did not meet <laughs> almost yeah. any of those uh, requirements. They were exciting.
2: That's what I think mostly (laughs) about the other ones. I mean,
1: they were certainly replayable because Uro was like in, you know, seven different decks. Oh, my God.
2: And Uro was literally literally replayable. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, don't want to go too much deeper on that, but I really appreciate you giving us the top line and just kind of like your your thoughts on the format. Ten thousand foot level. It's great. I think it sets some context for kind of maybe what you're excited about in in the new set. Right. And so, Shane, how are you thinking about organizing the way that we're going to talk about the cards
1: I thought we could just uh, honestly just lift off of Everett's YouTube video uh, c- construction. Is that okay with you? No, I mean, I thought we. Uh, I thought you I know, know, it makes it makes yeah. the most sense because I think well, especially because the top line is yep. uh, cards we're most excited for. Yes. And what's great about this is I think uh, three of Spike's four cards are ones that came out just in the last week. So we haven't talked about them as well. So I think this is definitely where the more the most audio ink will get spilled, I think, during this episode because these are some dang good cards. And so let's start with the cards we're most excited for tier. Uh, we, and I think the best one to start with, because I think we probably have the most to say here, is Leyline Binding. And Leyline Binding is five and a white chain. That sounds really expensive. You say, for this enchantment with flash, oh, it has domain. This spell costs one generic less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. And when it enters the battlefield, you exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until the land binding leaves the battlefield. So that's something. And I know Spike, you're super hyped about this. I know uh, Stan and I, at least uh, are big uh, Rhino players lately, there's a lot of chatter in the Rhino community about, you know, is four or five color Rhino is going to be the new go-to. So let's just let's just crack this down open. What do you think about this card, and where are you excited to see it? so
4: i I, I you know like I said in my YouTube video, this card is, I think, going to be the most impactful card to modern from. Uh, Dominaria united i do think that rhinos is one of the main pl- uh, places that is going to like the card but i think you're going to see it in a few other spots uh, specifically rhinos is already like pretty close to wanting to splash white already uh i know that Doomake and some other players have had success playing four color variants both 60 cards and 80 cards splashing for like solitude omnath to fairy time raveler everybody's favorites cards uh, and so there, an ardent plea also there. So there's there's plenty of things already drawing you into white, and having access to a one or two mana instant speed premium removal spell that answers any non permanent and can't be answered by a prismatic ending is. Super nice in Rhinos. Uh, one of the biggest weaknesses of this card, I think, is that it gets hit by main deck Beseju, but I think ultimately, like, a lot of times, like, this is going to be a one-mana answer that's getting answered by a two-mana Beseju that ramps you, and if you're playing a deck like Rhinos, a deck like Blue White Control, a deck like Omnath, that's not, that's not going to be... Um, such a big issue for you, um, and and I think the other two obvious decks this card slots into is as blue white control. I think it's easy enough to do something like playing Rogren Trium, Breeding Pool, Watery Grave, and this card is often a big times cast you two mana on turn two, and then three mana or one mana on turn three after in blue white control. Um, I think this card is also easy slotted in Omnath as well.
1: Yeah, I feel like this card would probably almost probably be fine without the flash. Like, the Flash is, like, it's it's bonkers because it gives, you know, instant speed interaction. Of course, the reason it works in Rhinos is because you can't cascade into it, but your lands make it cheaper. So, it's just another good cost reduction uh, for the deck to take advantage of. Stan, what do you think about this in Rhinos or other places?
0: Hated in Rhinos. I don't understand why people want to play four-color Rhinos. I've played four-color Rhinos, like, I can understand Doomwake flexing being, like, one of the best rhino players out there and putting literally eight cards into a rhinos package and still trophing with it and that's great but i don't want to play four color in decks without ren and six or like really easy proactive ways to fix my mana and i think part of what makes Rhino so excellent is the fact that like it can also be a decent blood moon deck with a killer yeah. clock and yeah. it's just like now you're a whole other deck in my mind and
1: yeah, I mean, that's exactly where I am too. Is like, it's almost like you know, you're know you definitely giving up the good Blood Moon deck part of the equation to potentially be a good Leyline Binding deck, right? Or like a good Rule of 12 instead of Rule of 8 by having like Ardent Plea or something like that. And whether or not you want to go from 60 to 80 cards, we know that the math is still good in terms of Cascade uh, because you, just, you have a higher density of cards even if you go to 80 cards with Ardent Plea. Yeah, I think the the best part about it for me, at least, is it gives people more options to play with. And I'm, you know, I'm not so deep in the rhinos where I'm like, oh, I'm tired. We've only had five cards as our flex spots, and now we get maybe a, different ways to even build the deck and test the deck. And I think that's cool, and I think that we'll get to the point where we t- determine if the cost of the mana is is worth the gain of the leyline binding. And I think that's just exciting.
0: Here's my my question that I have not am yet to hear an answer from anyone on the internet. What problem is the solving for the Rhinos deck?
4: Better matchup against Hammer Time, I think, is one of the biggest ones. It's um, one of our
0: best matchups.
1: I mean, you could, you could, you could tag a Merc Tide really easy rather than yeah. bounce it. I mean, tagging stuff instead of bouncing it is sometimes just better. <clears throat> do you know what I mean?
4: I, I don't I know mean, that I agree it's one of your best matchups. I know I watch Doom play a lot and he gets pretty frustrated playing it, but I don't know if that's just doom-hating hammer time in general.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that one of the things that this does, at least in my mind in a deck like that, and tell me if I'm wrong here is, and this goes hand-in-hand with me for like why this card is good in the face of people s- having doubts about it with uh, a lot of people playing Boseju, which is, Rhinos is pretty tempoy, right? Like you establish it, you use awkward cards to maintain your advantage, you get your Rhinos out, you have that powerful clock. This, this is... <clears throat> sort of the cheapest tempo answer that you can have to everything in a deck like that because it's going to cost one mana, right? And so you don't care if you get Boseiju because probably if you time when you play this correctly, you can clear the way to get your Cascade off before they have a chance to Boseju it and then you don't care anymore in the face of something that's preventing you, from, preventing you from Cascading, for example. And of course, the fact that this answers everything, you know, if it's an artifact problem, if it's a uh, planeswalker problem, all that kind of stuff, you know. I understand that Brazen Borrower does a similar thing, you know, maybe, but sometimes you get to lock it down for multiple turns instead, and it costs one mana. And so it's just the cheapest answer to a zillion different things, and you you can play it in this deck because of the cascade issue. And so that that's part of the reason that I feel like it makes sense in this kind of shell. Uh, I think it fundamentally changes the way you construct the deck, of course,
0: but and in that regard it costs more than one mana because it comes with a deck building cost where you now have to play worse mana right but but the that, but that's yeah. that's that's a little for me that's
2: a little bit disingenuous because it, it comes with the deck building cost yes but it doesn't cost more than one mana it, when you ha- when you build your deck around it to do it it's because you want it to cost one mana right and so you make that choice but the the choice that you make there is not around um you know it doesn't it, like i feel like it's not totally equivalent
4: yeah, the, the, the biggest thing that I think makes it good to play, in my opinion, is Rhinos is a deck that doesn't usually have a turn one play. And so the ability to just fetch a triumph on turn one, you can go in a trium to steam Band, Smarty Triumph into uh, breeding pool, and your mana is just like perfect because most of your cards only cost one color pip anyways. I don't think that the deck building mana cost is particularly high. It's it is real. You lose gemstone caverns, too, you use blood moon, but it is real. But it is, you know, this card also does make you particularly better against Teferi Time Raveler too, being able to go one mana, answer to fairy, cascade into rhinos, get way ahead
2: right that's kind of what i'm what i'm getting at too is that you that all the turns that you had where you were going to get rid of something that's problematic go from being five mana turns or six mana turns to being four mana turns you know where you in order to get your cascade to go off
1: yeah that's that's the real thing for me is like be just being able to double spell a lot more easily is kind of like where i see the the real win here but like you know we, you've been saying, Stan, and you referenced Everett. Is just kind of like this does fundamentally fundamentally change the way you have to build the mana in the deck, and also kind of your sideboard plans against particular decks. Where you're like, yeah, like Bloodman's gonna win me this Grixis Death Shadow match a lot. Or something like that, and you know you may just have to win it in a different way now, and that can be an opportunity or it can be a drawback if it makes other matchups better. And so, yeah, like I said before, like I don't think we can answer it on this episode. I think we can just say like, here's why some people are excited about it, particularly in a deck we've been talking about for weeks. Yeah. Now, my my question is moving on from rhinos because I
2: do think there's going to be a lot of experimentation with that. Is okay <clears throat> if this is kind of the potential to be a format defining removal spell right you talked about it in um in blue white already and four color like is this the type of card that is going to incentivize other random decks to start trying to splash into getting domain essentially in order to be able to play ley line, uh ley line binding that's the thing that i'm curious about as well like is it going to become something that people are like hey it's better than prismatic ending a lot of times because you know, I can cast it for three when I was going to get rid of a two drop with, uh, with, uh, sorry, cast it for two and uh, still get rid of a two drop with Prismatic Ending, or I can get rid of whatever I want with Leyline Binding, you know, even if it's not permanent. What do you think about that? Do you think that's possible, or?
4: I, th- I think it's possible for sure. I, there's, I mean, there's tons of decks that are, like, not interested at all in playing a Triome, not interested at all in, like, needing removal spells in general because they're more linear decks. But I do think, like, more obscure decks, like, reanimator variants because I, it, it answers any opposing graveyard hate your opponent could have or like weird decks like ardent plea or so not ardent plea the 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 return all enchantments uh suspend spell i was oh yeah was yeah ardent plea um and uh and there's just you know, I, I do think weird decks could play it um and you know this is also something i found after any any good removal spell gets spoiled people People really try to like think of all the implications, but like in the reality, the reality is like you can't really build a deck around a removal spell. This one, this one's a bit of a different, uh, you know, more of an exception because it does have a real deck building restriction. But for the most part, removal spells slot into existing decks. They're small upgrades potentially, um, but they're not something that like really ever builds a brings a new deck into the into the metagame. Yeah, i also wanted to double back a little bit onto um something that dave said earlier was that you know these, these are always just like you know first impressions you never really know how good a card is until you cast it and um it's just hard to say for sure how good any of these cards are before you get your hands on them
1: but uh ever, we do have aether channeler a card that is your your <laughs> invitational card so oh, i think you think good. best card ever <laughs> right uh Two and a blue for a human wizard, uh to two one. And when it when it ETBs, you get to choose one of the following three. Create a one-one white bird creature token with flying, return another target, non-land permanent to its owner's hand, or draw a card. Yeah. So this is yeah, like uh, you know, maybe okay in band soul herder, maybe. I don't know. This card sucks because it's gonna make people play band soul herder more, and rhinos cannot beat that deck.
4: Yeah, I think that's a good evaluation i you know if you had asked me like two months ago i would have said this card like doesn't really have a home in modern but like you said i've been playing a lot of band soul herder i've been finding a lot of success with it the deck's been really really good and i think this card is just a perfect fit in a deck that's playing collected company because it's a three mana creature and it just pairs so well with the four soul herder and four ephemerate that deck's already playing i think it also gives you like a greater density of answers against um Hammer Time, against uh, Rhinos, against any non-land permanent that's problematic besides uh, Torpor Orb. And uh, I, I, I'm i very excited to play with it. I think it's one of those very synergistic cards that fits in one specific deck, and I just happen to play that deck a lot.
0: What do you think opened the door for Soul Herder to be good now? So that's a
4: great question. Uh, f- I love to play Soul Herder before Modern Horizons 2. I worked on tons and tons of different versions, including... Uh, this Kiki chord variant that, like, the thief I think, won or got second place in a challenge with, like, right after Ikora came out. It was, like, I think the best Yorian deck, like, in those first few weeks post-Ikora. But the issue with building Soul Herder post-Modern Horizons 2, for me, has always been that if you're going to play a blue-white-X flicker-based value deck in Modern, there's really not much reason to play a build focused on Soul Herder over, like, the four color Omneth variants that you see right now with or without Risen Reef, without Vivian, with or without Vivian, with uh, Traverse or without Traverse. And the whole time I've been trying to find a better reason to play Soul Herder because I think that card is really powerful. But I do agree that it doesn't make a lot of sense in the in the Omneth deck. So I would try builds with, with Aether Vial. I would try builds with like Felder Guardian combo. But every time I would try to build those decks or try to play those decks, they would eventually morph, morph into the four color Omnath deck that you see now. And then I had a chat suggestion for playing collected company with soul herder. And that, that just made a lot of sense to actually build the archetype as a 60 card deck, not an 80 card deck. And with, and with soldier, with soldier being a, a, a three meta creature, amazing to hit off the collected company and, and collected company decks really not wanting you to play 80 cards. Cause you need to one maximize the power of your collected companies, drawing them more often, hitting your good cards more often, but also uh, meeting those restrictions of having, that uh, density of cheap creatures is really, really hard to beat in an 80 card deck. So uh, that realization that collected company is the card that allows you to play a 60 card uh, solar deck was really the the missing link for me, and it's it just kind of taken off since then.
2: Are you finding that collected company is, I mean, I not like it's fast enough for the modern for re- modern right now for the format right now? Like it's a reasonable four drop and in, in this version. I guess you have to have the right deck for it, but it feels powerful enough.
4: I would say so. I would say one thing is that modern is like maybe slower than it's ever been mm, <laughs> right now. Yeah, uh, it's to some ex- extent, but um, yeah, collecting company is one of those cards that scales well with the format as the format goes on and as more and more powerful. Two, three one mana creatures get printed, collected company gets better. There's no card like it that just lets you cheat on mana like right. it does, where you just put two powerful three mana creatures into play. And if if anything, cards like Gris, Empire Pyromancer, Soul Herder have powered up that card over over the last few years rather than that card scaling, scaling down.
0: Cool. And I, I'm guessing part of the appeal for Channeler is that it's a three-mana card that has three modes and gives you flexibility off those Coco hits. I'm assuming it's possible to have too many three drops and in that regard like are there obvious cards in your deck that like you wish you could do without but are sort of necessary evils where this is an easy replacement for
4: yeah I think it's going to be an easy switch from the two deputy of detention I play and the two endurances where to some extent although endurances are partial like metagame call against like living in burktide it's also partially true that they're there so you have like creatures in play that you can attack and win the game with and the fact that this card can provide you a big creature state if you're flickering into making a token every turn replaces that need and if you have four copies of this in your main deck then it can compensate for those two copies of deputy detention just being able to bounce any non land permanent every single turn while something that extra versatility and not being weaker to removal uh, i think maybe makes this card an upgrade to deputy detention my plan is to start with the four copies over those cards, but I think it's very likely you see like, you know, some split of endurance aether channeler or um deputy detention, maybe maybe going up on the three jobs I've been playing, maybe not, but uh my plan is to start start with four. Cool. How many times do you think you're going to make a bird? Um, I think that I'm going to make a bird usually when I'm either really ahead or really behind. Yeah. So like it, it's you know it's pro- it's the worst mode on the card I think pretty obviously but it's it's definitely a mode that will come up and will be relevant will help you break board stalls sometimes just getting a one one flyer when you have multiple double hierarchs in a board stall situation is good.
2: Yeah, interesting. All right, I can't wait to talk about the next card because this is one that I was really interested to see on your list, which is Soul of Wind Grace, which is one. To- one generic and jun brg for a cat avatar it's a 5-4 whenever soul of wing Grace enters the battlefield or attacks you may put a land card from a graveyard onto the battlefield tapped under your control then it's got three activated abilities green discard a card you gain three li- or discard a land card you gain three life generic and a red discard a land card draw a card Gener- two generic and a black discard a land card soul of Wingrace gains indestructible until end of turn tap it this one, for me, I was like, this is a sweet card, but it's one of those ones where I'm like, it's got so much text on it, it must be for EDH, but it's got so many things that it does. Uh, how do you think it kind of fits in the power level of, of Modern right now, or the way that Modern works right now?
4: I think that this is a super powerful card. A 4 maned creature that comes back, brings you back Urza Saga, or any fetch land, or any Value Land from your opponent's graveyard, can do the same on attack, while also having plenty of ways to get you unflooded from a Rin and Six while also being a giant creature, I think is specifically a perfect fit in Jund Saga, a deck that has, I think for the last like years, six months, whatever fallen in and out of favor as the format has uh, evolved. And right now has, you know, the big issue of having like a good matchup against every deck in the format besides Omnath and can like just literally never beat the Omnath deck ever. Uh, this card does not solve that problem. Uh, you are not going to just all of a sudden have a good or even close to favorable matchup by playing Soul of Ring, Grace, and Jun Saga. That being said, Jun Saga is a a good deck that has one almost unwinnable matchup in the format, and this is a really nice upgrade for it. And this card is also super sweet.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of those things where, like, Jun doesn't quite get up to four mana right now, and so I I, I was just wondering, kind of, what what cards do you think you would fit? How many do you think you would... I mean, how many do you think you would try to... In a in a kind of Jun deck right now, or
4: what do you think? Uh I think four mana is too hard to hit if you're playing four copies of Renin Six. True. Um, yeah. but I, I do think that too many copies of four mana spells are too much. So I, I imagine that you're gonna see between one and three copies of this card in Jun Saga. Um I th- I'm not sure exactly what number you're gonna settle on. It's gonna be the kind of card that you split with your season pyromancers or Liliana's or Kolagon's commands or Fable of the Mirror Breakers, just kind of your top end grindy elements of the deck.
0: Doesn't a four drop like this make it harder to play Saga on turn one?
4: Uh, you never play Saga on turn one in Jun Saga. It's usually a turn three play. Uh, it, saga, saga is like, it's, it's almost always wanting to be like the last card out of your hand after you've traded resources, put pressure into play, and you start to like just outgrind them and recur it with Ren and Six, or now recur it with Soul of Wind Grace.
2: Because you want to make, yeah, you're kind of like, okay, now I'm going to use this to make two constructs, basically, because I don't have, you know, I've gotten rid of your cards, you've gotten rid of my cards, and now I have this to do
1: man, this card's good. The, the looping the lands thing is wild where it's like, you know, discarding the land to, for value is just good. And then the fact that it like scoops it back up, it's like, yeah, you, know, you have, you have one thing doing it with Red and six and another thing doing it with soul of Windgrace late in the game. And it's like, that's some brutal loops with various, if you want to get real tricksy, like whether it's the horizon lands or the cycling lands or, you know, the uh, channel lands, it's pretty brutal. I mean, it's amazing to have something in the deck, I think, that
2: lets you gain life pretty easily and draw cards pretty easily. It's like, you know, it fills in that kind of, like, stretch between, basically, like you guys said, Ren and Six, season and Pyromancer. It brings an element to the deck that, you know, since you haven't been able to run Scooz main anymore, you used to be able to do that to gain life, and now you can't. So it's nice to have that dimension against the more aggressive matchups in the format, um, depending on what they are. Mostly Burn, of course, but...
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, after after Everett, you had this on, I remember you were talking about this on stream a few days ago last week, and uh, I was like, man, I might have to look at all these gold cards I kind of skimmed over. Like, I, I really don't like looking through like large sets of gold cards, because I'm just like, ah, EDH, maybe EDH, is this good? What makes this good? I don't know anything anymore.
2: Have you not learned from us sleeping on Omnath two I years know. ago, though, whenever it came on the spoiler episode? That's why it was I look like, at I guys, it. <laughs> this, card, <laughs> <laughs> this, this card
1: is huge. <laughs> Yeah, that card is still huge. Still huge. (laughs) I mean, and and also, of course, uh, Ledger Shredder taught us a lesson that like sometimes set mechanics can be good. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, when I saw Ledger Shredder for the first time, I thought that it only triggered off your own spells, and I like I still thought it was good enough to play, and I registered it in the deck, and then it triggered on my opponent's turn. I was like, "What the heck is happening? (laughs) This (laughs) is nuts!" All
2: right. So this next card that you have, Founding the Third Path. Dave's um, self help book. We, so we talked. Yes, <laughs> we talked about this last week a little bit because I, I had this on my my list. as something that I thought was really interesting. I was thinking about it more in like a spell triggers matter kind of deck, like a prophecy kind of deck because I love that deck. But um, of course, the the mill four matters. You want to make sure that you do something with that. You know, in your video, I don't think we have to read this card again. Maybe we'll read it again. It's generic in you. It's a saga. It has read ahead. Chapter one is you can cast an instant or sorcery with mana value one or two from your hand without paying the mana cost. So basically you get to use the mana that you put into the saga if you want to. The second one is target player mills four cards. And the third one is exile target instant or sorcery from your graveyard, copy it. You may cast the copy. So it's basically Snapcaster Mage's trigger. You talked about this as kind of a mission briefing kind of kind of effects uh, and talked about a little bit in mill. Do you think that that's kind of where this mostly fits in or do you think that there's other possibilities with this kind of uh, other shells that might be interested in a card like this?
4: I think that Founding the Third Path is probably the card with the most brew potential for the new set. I do think that you're right that it has a lot of potential in prowess in Pioneer more so. For me, it has more potential in Pioneer than in Modern where it gives you two triggers and then it mills you four for Treasure Cruise. They can flash you back a Treasure Cruise if you if you have it in that format. Um I I think that um, this card is particularly interesting in modern and mill, obviously because it mills your opponent, flashes back your important mill spells. Uh, but I, I think it's also interesting for reanimator, where uh, both persist and upmark grave are you know two mana spells. Self bill is important in that matchup too, and also like just finding persist is uh, really premium in reanimator as well. So I think that this has some interesting applications there. I also think this card has a lot of synergy with a card that I've I've always felt is very close to being a very powerful spell, but it has always been missing something, which is See the Truth, which is a two-mana sorcery, which is a sorcery speed anticipate. Look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, rest on the bottom. Uh, But if you you cast it outside of your hand, you just draw three cards. And so the biggest problem with that card is when it's just stuck in your hand and you just have a sorcery speed, two-mana spell that is just doing nothing. What's cool is this card comes down cast that card for free gets it out of your hand and then you're going to be able to draw three cards with it almost immediately after and i would also say that founding of the Fourth third path is not a card that i think would be playable if it didn't have read ahead read ahead is such a powerful mechanic where if you just don't have that instant resource in your hand you immediately can mill four cards if you want to set up for next turn or just cast that spell immediately read ahead on the read ahead is probably the hardest mechanic to evaluate for gameplay without having play tested it first but I'm, I'm definitely predicting that people are looking at sagas through the lens of evaluating them as traditional sagas. But this is a huge, huge buff for Constructed.
1: It, this this one definitely doesn't feel like you're paying a cost for the read ahead. Like this feels like sort of a traditionally costed saga and like a pretty good traditionally costed saga and you get the read ahead. So it kind of gets around the issue that I was trying, I was focusing on in our previous uh spoiler episodes where it's like, you know, the, the the time that's built into sagas makes them have to sort of reconfigure how they build the sagas they have with read ahead. And this one doesn't feel like they're playing it safe. It feels like they're just giving you a lot of options. I mean this is one of the cheapest
2: cards that I remember having read ahead on it too. I don't think there's a one mana one. I could be wrong. I uh, I could look back through the spoilers again. But yeah, it it is definitely value in that sense. All right. So we talked through Everett's tier Stan, Shane, any cards yeah. pique your interest as far as modern goes
1: at the same kind of level of enthusiasm as these ones? Yeah, what's on what's on your most excited list, Stan, for for modern right now? For modern, it's hard, right? Um, Besides some of the ones we've already talked about, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, for modern, like the the Shivon Devastator. Is that what it's called? The yeah. X-Red Dragon Flying Haste? Like, I think that's kind of cool. I will say, like, there wasn't a ton of stuff in, in the spoiler that, like, jumped to me at, as a potential modern mm-hmm. player outside of, like, maybe some fringe applications. Like, I wonder if maybe the Coffers deck could play, like, that four-mana Praetor. Or even something maybe like the Merfolk Wizard as another two-mana lord that, like, offers a bit of protection at instant yep. speed, no less. Yeah, for we'll
2: sure. We'll come back to that in a minute because I think there. Are, we should talk about all the those three main lords in a
1: in a minute for yeah. sure. I don't have anything to add really for modern. I think the card I'm most excited to mess with is Leyline Binding, and then I'm, there's cards that I'm afraid of being in the format. Like I really do think that Temporary Lockdown is not going to be a card I'm I'm loving to see in the format, and I think it's going to have some good sideboard applications for sure. But I don't I don't love a card like that existing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean the only that I think I kind of feel the same way about about this. I guess a couple of questions I had. One card I'm excited to play that I don't think is really powerful enough, though, is Balmore Battle Mage Captain. To see if a cheaper Adelia's the Cinderwind is actually something that's worthwhile in either Pioneer or Modern, it does feel a little bit to me like maybe it's enough to make me want to get out my mutagenic growths and stuff again and and see if that. A build of that version of the deck is is good enough to do some kind of quick kills or not um, replacing you know the former top end that you had to invest a lot of effort in like stormwing entity you know not going that way anymore because it's that's too many eggs in one basket and then um, also potentially you know not doing you know bedlam reveler or, or even sprite dragon I think in the modern context like just going for all the cards that really benefit from cheap spells.
1: Yeah, like if we're going to like our Pioneer most excited list, like what are we most excited to play in Pioneer? I've got you know, I think I think Belmore is definitely on that. Like I think this is gonna be this is definitely gonna be like one of my new go to's for like an aggro arena deck. Like if I get back to playing on arena, like I think Belmore will be certainly fun in that, you know, with giving things trample, you know, that's great. Given being a one three in a format like Explorer is is really good as well. Yeah, I'm to one three. And it gives trample.
2: That's the crazy thing about that card, I think, is it makes your swift spears and, and soul scar mages so much better. So yeah, those are some fast yeah, skills. So
0: I'm on the same boat. I am I have more excitement about pioneer applications. Like, um, we're going to talk about lords in a minute, but the elf lord in particular, like, I just want elves to be a pioneer deck. That card,
4: I love that card. That
1: card awesome. That card's That's, awesome. Let's just talk about it now. Let's just have a little yeah. crossover. So get so to this, the lords. Yeah. So we have we have a lord section Buff to tribal decks was what you called it in your video ever. And we have let's start with Leaf Crown Visionary. It's yeah. double green elf druid creature. It's a one one. Other elves you control get plus one plus one. And whenever you cast an elf spell, you can play you can pay green. If you do, draw a card. Weird. Pay green. Very weird card. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Good card. <laughs>
4: uh, I I like this card a lot. I will say that Elves was my first ever Modern deck. It's a deck that I have played a lot of and is very, very near and dear to my heart. I also lost my first ever GP I played. I lost my winning in the top eight against Elves, so it's also my mortal enemy. Um, But uh, I think this card's very good. I think that the Elves deck in Modern is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly fast. It is somewhat underrated. But um, uh, also on my YouTube video with this, page but big buff to tribal decks i have a, a a panel with fury and solitude and ephemerate and plague engineer and a big you know fire on them and there's a big circle with a line through it but this is kind of the, my, my, my main point is that like leaf crown visionary voldarian hex catcher runevelt horde master these are buffs to goblins elves, merfolk they don't solve the issue that's plaguing tribal decks that they are incredibly weak to like specifically Ephemerate plus one of the incarnations with the exception of goblins, but a little bit, we can talk about that. I think uh, later I'm hoping that uh, elves is at least somewhat playable though. Cause I, I, I love to play that deck.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do think fury especially is like a bigger problem right now than plague engineer. I, I can't recall the last time I saw plague engineer. Um, and that's why I want to see this in pioneer just because pioneer has like all eight dorks, or, or both of the dorks, I, I would I should say. Like, it has Shaman of the Pack. It even has Circle of Dreams Druid so that you can produce a ton of mana. Um, and though you're missing, like, Heritage Druid and Nettle Sentinel, you can just play it slightly differently. Where something like this and Realm Walker and Circle of Dreams and maybe even um, that Legend from original the last Dominaria set that grows whenever you play an elf and you could tap for her power. Oh yeah. Tap to produce green mana equal to her power. Like, you can produce a ton of green mana to have a payoff with something like Warmaster or eventually Shaman of the Pack if your board is wide enough or, I don't know, is Craterhoof in Pioneer? I don't Mm -hmm. think it is. No. 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 But Realm Realm Race Forerunner maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Probably not the card you want. That's
1: cool. And then we also have another new Lord, right? That
2: we didn't talk about last week. Yeah, the Vidallion Hex Catcher, which is the single uh, generic in a blue for a Merfolk Wizard with Flash. It says the other Merfolk you control get plus one, plus one, and then it says sacrifice a Merfolk counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one generic uh, to 1-1. One, one. So... There's a isn't is that Curse Catcher? Is that the card that this, yeah. this does this turn all your Elves into Curse Catchers basically? Your
1: Merfolk, um, yeah. sorry Merfolk. I
4: think Curse Catcher is just Instance and Sorceries, oh, okay. which obviously has a few other implications, uh, mostly like against Red and Six. Yeah. But I, I think this is a, a big upgrade for the deck. I actually got trashed by Merfolk at my last RCQ, but it was mostly through a, a like four through four subtleties, <laughs> oh. uh, which was crazy. But um. Yeah, I, I think this card is a big upgrade. I think that Merfolk is has been a more playable tribal deck than Elves. It's a deck that being mono blue, having access to force of negation and subtlety actually does have a lot of answers to uh, the problematic permanence that plague tribal decks. It got a lot of love from Modern Horizons 2 with the Merfolk god and then the 1-1 that turns your opponent's land into into an island. Um, I, I, I kinda of, I kind of expect that people will play a bit more Merfolk now that Hexcatcher's out and kind of realize hey, Merfolk is like a somewhat reasonable deck to to have been playing this whole time and this is a good upgrade.
0: If you're building a deck with access to infinite number of two-mana lords, how many two-mana lords is too many two-mana lords?
4: <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, it depends on the format and the dynamic and everything. Uh, in, in Modern, if, if, you know, if... <laughs> If you're just talking about like vanilla two-mana lords, all they are is two-mana, two-two, give your creatures plus one, plus one. I don't think any of those cards are playable if that's the only text on the card. Merfolk lords have a little bit more value where this one lets you interact with your opponent's non-creatures, which is huge. The other ones give your uh, creatures island walk, which help you get through board stalls. But I I think that as far as like two-mana, two-two, give your creatures plus one, plus one, uh, those cards are just uh, stone unplayable and modern without any extra upside.
2: I'll say my vampire deck is no good. (laughs) my orzhov vampire deck it's cool i mean i think that there's a lot of people who love merfolk's are very dominaria ish there's a lot of people who loved this deck i've known a number of people who that where this was this was their first modern deck you know they got the aether vials that was the card that was expensive and then they kind of went from there with their collections uh so it'd be good to see that this this potentially give a little bump to it uh but the the real One here, of course, is the Runevelt Master, which we talked about last week, so I I, I won't bother to read the card. But um, Goblins just keep coming, that deck just keeps coming back in different versions, little bumps happening here and there to kind of turn what is a really reasonable combo shell that has a good backup plan to just smash you if their plan doesn't come together. Gets this thing that helps them just churn through their deck
4: now. Yeah, my my impression is that so like while I think people will pick up the hex catcher, I think Murfolk is like a reasonable deck to be playing. I think people could pick up Horde Master and find out Goblins has just been a good deck this whole time. Uh, I was playing a ton of Goblins back when I was doing my last trophy race at the beginning of this year. I thought the deck was phenomenally good. I broke the all time trophy record finishing up with with the Goblins deck. It unlike all the other tribal strategies. Um, your goblins provide you so much value on etb that if they're dying to creature removal spells it usually isn't such a big issue because you're recouping that card disadvantage so much your Aether vials are so much better because all of your creatures provide you card advantage you have tons of good utility lands you're, re- you're a combo deck that's resilient to counter magic you have a two card five mana infinite combo with both halves of the combo just being good on their own i think i think goblins is phenomenal and i think people are i hope that people, Figure that out.
1: Yeah. Are you more on like kind of the aggressive plan or like a combo plan or a mix of both?
4: Uh, I, I would say that Goblins has a beat down game plan as plan C. I would say that Goblins is a value deck first that is trying to... Uh, nickel and dime your opponent out with two for ones over the course of the game. It has a plan B two card, five bandit combo conspicuous, Duke Bogart Harbinger that, that, that plan B needs to become plan A in most linear matchups. And it, that it's kind of like when you're playing splinter twin where your combo is not your plan A in those fair matchups, but the threat of it is always looming in the same way that that threat is always looming in those in those fair matchups. And then if your opponents are constantly holding up removal spells for your conspicuous snoops, and they're trying to really hold up counter magic or hold up dress downs for your your ringleaders and, and matrons, you're just going to attack them until they're dead. And so that that kind of beat down game plan is like not like your plan A, but it it, it does win you plenty of games too.
2: Do you think you have to play this card with Skirk Pros- Prospector to have it be good? Or do you think it's enough that enough goblins die and even with your S- Sling Gang, like it's enough to kind of make it go? I
4: think the combination of Sling Gang and Prospector are make this card powerful enough on its own. That being said, I don't think you're going to be sacking goblins just for cards that often because goblins already just has so many cards naturally. But w- one card that I have loved in goblins and one of the, I think the main reasons why I stopped losing with goblins and started winning with goblins was that it was main decking like three or four of mog fanatics. Mm. Mog fanatic is a card that makes you much more resilient to Ragavan, much more resilient to hammer time in general, um, is a card that gives you a lower mana curve. And now is a card that works well with horde master, where when you're sacking it to ping your opponent's creature, you are maybe getting another goblin off the top too.
2: Wow. That just warms my boomer heart. <laughs> mog <laughs> fanatic modern staple. <laughs> Hey, uh, I'm put damage on the stack. Then I'm going to sack my fanatic. Remember <laughs> those days? No, no, no I don't. Uh,
1: no. <laughs> no. You
2: used to be able to get two damage out of it by by <laughs> playing the the add to the stack thing.
1: All right. So before we move on into another section, I do want to not. I kind of want to incorporate. The, the Pioneer cards we're most excited about in this most excited tier. And and Spike, feel free to jump in here because I know you talked mostly about Modern on your video. But any, any one of you have anything that's popping into your brain when I say something you're really excited to play in Pioneer? Stan. Threats undetected. Tune a green sorcery. Search your
0: library for up to four creature cards with different powers. Reveal them. An opponent chooses two of those cards. Shuffle the chosen cards into your library and put the rest in your hand. The fact that this is three mana to put two cards in your hand, I think, is... Really interesting in a format that has like two of the best mana dorks and other mana dorks in general that are totally decent. And I feel like this doesn't even have to go in a tribal deck. Like it's probably not replacing Storm in Mono Green Devotion, but maybe this is just like another way to generate card advantage in green ramp decks or green aggro
1: decks. It's pretty pretty curious to me. Sure, I wish I put them on the battlefield, but. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it would have That'd to cost four mana then yeah i know wow <laughs> four mana yeah any uh what about you dave anything that you're super hyped in
2: pioneer or explorer level i mean one thing i'm interested in pioneer just because i love mono blue spirits is can i play a deck uh, and i like auras i guess this deck this card is really more for auras um combat research which is basically curious Obsession but it has it gives ward and plus one plus one if it goes on a legendary creature such as sram or light paws mm-hmm. for example which is something that I kind of wondered about maybe that could be a cool card uh, that could help juice that strategy a little bit i mean pioneer is about something very different from auras right now so i don't know if there's really an opening for that but it definitely was a card that maybe go okay maybe we can play some more curiosity effects that could be cool actually one card i wanted to talk about just in general is impulse
1: Mm. yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk impulse that's a card
2: that I'm hyped about again my 1997 heart is warming to it I don't think it's powerful enough for modern like by a long shot at this point but I, I wonder a little bit it's definitely a card that I kind of felt like they felt like was too powerful forever to print and now suddenly it's just in this set
1: impulse is literally literally just one more card than anticipate right yeah I mean in terms of the ones you look at correct okay and anticipate was randomly played randomly Yeah, I mean, this was a huge staple when it came out. There, there,
2: this was like in the one of the original kind of Drago style, not Drago style decks, but like tempo. You know, there's this card called Ophidian that when you hit somebody with it, you got to draw a card. And basically it was a mono blue deck where you would get to kind of tempo people and always try to force your Ophidian through. And Impulse was a huge part of making sure you had the right answer at the right time. Now it was the only card at the time that was sort of this thing, right? It wasn't Brainstorm. It was after Brainstorm had been legal. This is what we had after people decided Brainstorm was too good. Basically, and um, I don't know. I I used to love playing with it. I kind of felt like maybe maybe there's a shot that it could be something in Pioneer, but I'm not totally sure.
4: Well, the Pioneer Lotus Field deck currently plays the Sorcery Speed Impulse. It's just Impulse Sorcery Speed. So
3: that's an upgrade. upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
4: I don't know if you. I don't think you'll see Impulse in decks like Phoenix because the biggest issue for me in Pioneer is that every blue deck besides Lotus Field, uh, all of their cantrips somewhat prioritize filling up the graveyard for treasure.
2: Cruise. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, and we could do a whole nother podcast on why they should have been crews and not iteration, but um, th- that's, that's the main reason why I don't think that you're going to see a ton of uh, impulse and pioneer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a card you can really play for value anymore. Like there was a day where you would play this in a blue, white control shell, but it's just not, that's just not how you build those decks at this point in time.
1: I think I'm pretty amped to play with some of these pain lands. Like, the more I thought about it, I, I do think that particularly like the red green pain land in Pioneer is helpful. I, to-
4: I totally forgot that the pain lands <laughs> got printed. I, I, I completely forgot. That's actually the other a, 30 cards really distracted
1: boring. you. Do you want to change your modern? Top tier.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe, maybe, huh?
1: Yeah. So I think I mean I think it's a big deal. Like I think the Painlands, Like I mean, the like I said, the more I thought about it, I think the, there are some aggressive decks that really have some bad mana. Like you know, going from the concept of paying playing game trail to having like carpools in forest is is such a monumental change that I do hope that it it does give us some more options for aggression in the format.
2: Yeah, I will say, you know, when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I didn't talk of I said nobody's gonna play uh Articar waste, but there are blue-white aggressive decks that we just completely discounted. It's gonna make blue white spirits better. It has a chance again to make something like Auras
1: better. So I that shouldn't be discounted in soul, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think those are those are things I'm hyped for in Pioneer, along with a bunch of other random creatures, like uh and I think that uh I think Jaya might just be something cool to mess with too, like in the pioneer power level, like red, red mid rangey decks. Like I'm all, I'm all for it. Give me, give me a red prowess token. I just keep thinking about it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I hope they make more uh, prowess creature tokens. I think that, that, that is really cool.
1: Me too. Spike, any, any final thoughts on pioneer, the stuff you really amped to, to think about, but you, I know you think about modern more than anything.
4: Yeah. I haven't been as into pioneer lately, but I'm, I'm, Maybe hoping to get back into it a little bit. Uh, one card that I think is kind of interesting is the world spell, the seven mana saga. Just uh this card both digs you for omniscience and then puts omniscience into play, albeit for albeit for seven mana. But seven mana is also like pretty achievable in Pioneer in a dedicated ramp shell. And there's it's probably not quite good enough, but it seems like it's like almost (laughs) almost something
2: yeah i i agree on that one i had said that it was something that might go in mono green but i think mono greens become a totally different thing now but hearing it with the word omniscience was a good reminder about the fact that that card is in the format and has been in shells and pioneer and like with emergent ultimatum and stuff like that so i think that's a good
0: call too i got another pioneer card lagamos hand of hatred 1 black red for a legendary human shaman. 1-3 at the beginning of combat on your turn. Crit a 2-1 red elemental creature token with trample and haste. Sack it at the beginning of the next end step. It also has tap. Search your library for a card. Put it in your hand. Shuffle. Activate only if five or more creatures died this turn. Rack sack exists in Pioneer. Doesn't this feel like a card that can just like add a lot of closing power to cat oven decks that just like sort of dirtle forever.
1: I'm going to let I'm not even going to jump in here. I'm going to let Spike he's the one who plays these sac value decks. What do you think about this card?
4: Um uh, Competing with Mayhem Devil in the three mana creature spot is like really tough. It's, it seems like it's hard to ever play four of each of this card. The five creature dying uh, ability I think you mostly just have to look at that as like gravy that you're going to activate once every like 50 matches. It's almost never going to come up. Um, but making a creature with trample haste every turn is somewhat valuable. Three toughness and pioneer is not as much of a premium as it used to be. It used to be, three toughness creatures were hard to kill because everybody plays shocks and everybody plays like fiery pulse and strangle. I, gu- I could definitely see it uh, making making the cut, but I I'm not I'm not sure that it's going to be a super impactful card in the deck.
1: Yeah, I think I mean the the five seems. Tough to me is where I was going was what I was thinking, but I I hope that you know there's there's room for experimentation with it for sure. Yeah, I mean the only thing I think about that is like when I read, so I I think
4: morbid
2: triggers are harder to get than people think they are generally, yeah. right? So that's like I I often see these things where it's like oh something dies and something good happens, okay, and then you look at this one, it's like wow five things have to die, okay, but then thinking about this in a deck with mayhem devil where you are sacking something and then killing something on your opponent's side, like. Maybe you'll get there a little bit more.
4: But then, but then also, like once you've like jumped through this like really hard hoop to jump through, five creatures dying in a turn. What are you? What are you searching for? That's really pushing you over the edge because in theory, your game plan is already being executed really well. Right. If you're able to like sacrifice five things or kill two things, sacrifice three things. I mean, I would
2: assume you're just looking for another mayhem devil. Yeah. You know, either as a backup or or whatever in that case. So. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like, I do wonder if it's possible to get to five things. Just after sitting through so many arena matches where I've somebody's pinged my whole board with Mayhem <laughs> Devil and then kind of like, okay, they kill me, but yeah. Because yeah. you also yeah.
0: cracked your own fable and it's like, oh wait, why did I do that when there's
2: a Mayhem Devil on the board? Yeah. Okay, I have another card I'd love to talk about. And this is one that I'm not sure... It depends a lot on the format, I think, again, but Battlewing Mystic. Uh, a generic and a and a blue for a bird wizard. It's a 2-1. It has flying... Kicker red when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, discard your hand, then draw two cards. This card seems seems sweet to me. Like it's like a combination of a flying threat and and uh, Bedlam Reveler. I love these. Discard your hand, then draw draw two cards for aggressive decks. Uh, I also really like the list that Cave Dan from Faithless uh, Faithless Brewing posted, where it was just kind of like a kicker list that uses Drake Haven to be able to just make a huge amount of of kind of tutus and kind of. Flyover, which i thought was pretty interesting or it's, it's not like drake drake, it.
4: It psych- yes yes yeah, it's, it's the
2: other card it's the um it's, it's something else of drake's i can look it yeah. up really quick but it makes yeah.
4: Drake's with you when you kick her i assume yeah
2: yeah it makes a two two it's a one drop that makes a drake when you kick her um but i even wonder about this card more so in pioneer as like a um you know just a good kind of like okay i have a two drop that lets me just get better cards if i want to later
4: it's an interesting card like one of the one of the biggest issues, one of the biggest issues that plagues Pioneer still is that Treasure Cruise is legal. These decks are just like they don't care that much about like card advantage engines. So like for the most part, you want your threats to be packing a big punch, and then you just get to play four Treasure Cruise in these decks. Yeah, but but, but
2: this hand, yeah. I can discard my hand to fuel my Treasure Cruise. <laughs> that's,
4: right? true, mm. that's true. But what if you but if you have a cruise in your hand, you're like, oh no, I <laughs> exactly. can never get rid of this.
1: <laughs> yeah, Treasure Cruise. Is yeah, very extremely good, extremely warping in some ways. All right, what I want to get into next, and briefly, we, we talked about these last week, and you have them under sideboard cards. But I want to get your take, especially on temporary lockdown. Ever like, I mean, is this kind of what's written on the tin? Like, decks that can have double white that want to take care of small things are going to run it in the sideboard for handling, like, you know, uh,
4: I mean, maybe like this, this is a really good card, it's maybe the best deck in the format against hammer time specifically i think that we are sitting in a podcast full of hammer or full of rhinos players who are scared of having their rhinos exiled. if people
1: bring this in against rhinos i don't think they're doing it right i gotta admit
4: i mean i would definitely bring it in against rhinos if i had it but it wouldn't be for the rhinos match yeah exactly it would yeah. Be more so for hammer time um i think this card's fine i think that one interesting spot for it is like esper reanimator because it is just like two man i like, get rid of all of your graveyard hate um with and you know in a deck that's already playing white so that's kind of interesting um i I, again i I think the card is just like mostly fine and like one of the big issues i have with it is that white decks like omnath white decks like reanimator like white white decks like blue white control are all already pretty good against hammer time so there i don't think that they're going to likely need this like drastic measure if that makes sense
1: Sure. I mean I do I do fear for some of our like yogg friends out there cuz I don't think it's a particularly great card. You want you want to see that cast against you.
4: Yeah, it's really good against them.
1: And what about Karn Silex? Like I don't think it's like breaking the format wide open, but I think it's basically it's going to be in most Karn Karn sideboard wishboards, but I don't know if there's anything more to say than that.
4: Yeah, that's kind of where I had it. It's definitely like one of the harder cards to evaluate. Where I, I've like never played with Pernicious Deed outside of Cube. I've always rated it like somewhat low in Cube. It's not like a super high pick for me. Um, and I think that this is definitely the kind of card that you might play with. It might be like really surprised with this power level. You might find a in more interesting aspect or more interesting application for it than just a car in the great crater two-to-target, but it does seem like a great car in the great crater to two to target. And I I also feel like they do this sometimes where they know that this is a modern. Card the Great Creator Tutor target, so they name it Card and Silex. You know, I think this is on purpose.
2: Yeah. Does this the one thing that we didn't talk about with this last week is is that first sentence ever really good or important? Like, I I don't know if it. I was thinking, about, I mean, just, it turns off Fetchlands, you know, but it's like, do we care by the time we're tutoring this up and playing uh,
4: it? Up, stops moth's ability, which is really big. Yeah. Um, I think that in the context of modern, at least, like lands and yagmoth are the main applications because there's okay. not that many phyrexian yeah. mana spells for it floating around right now even no they're all banned the good ones all the good ones yeah
1: all right uh next section you had was fringe archetype options which i am renaming aka good stuff for pioneer and modern if you're lucky and <laughs> yeah i think that's a really good way to put it <laughs> um the card that i'm kind of most excited about in this section is sarah paragon uh it's two white white for an angel three floor three four with flying once during each of your turns you may play a land card from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard if you do uh that card gains when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield exile it and you gain two life (sighs) like why do you gain two life from that that's so weird because it's white i guess it's just like this is this is what this is Luris at home without the deck building restriction but you also cannot tutor it from your sideboard which is kind of the magic thing that companions are so good at doing. Yeah, you also can't do it over and over again. That's that's the big thing about this is that it exiles the card. Yeah, maybe, but I mean in it. some cases you don't really care. Like sure you can't loop like a Mishra's Bauble, but in especially like in Pi- like Pioneer Angels, like man, I do not want to see this on the battlefield. Although they're they're probably winning at that point anyway.
4: Yeah, I see a lot of people compare this card to Luris, but to me it reminds me of Kess, the, the Grixis four-drop that allows you to play instants and sorceries from your graveyard. It, it is just so rough to have these four mana creatures that you have to untap with to get value with. That being said, Sarah Paragon is not exactly like that. It's not Kess in the sense that you either have to play four-drop with lots of mana. You can play Sarah Paragon and play a land from the yard if you haven't played a land this turn and get some value immediately. You can play a mistress bobble and get some value immediately. Plus plus that two life is also somewhat relevant. I I think for four mana, this card is probably not making the cut in most spots, but you know, you can also recur more interesting cards like Fulminator Mage, like Grist. Yeah. um, it's a cool... Mod-
1: Modern's a sure. reach. I do think that there are probably some some easier tribal homes, especially like in, you know, uh, angels and things like that, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think that I'm someone's going to do something with this to annoy me at some point in the future. That's my guess.
4: Well, I, I think it would have been good in Pioneer if Heliod combo was still legal. Yeah. I mean, there is, like, the Green White Angel deck now, but it would I think it would be, like, nuts in that deck.
1: What about Heliod
2: combo in Modern, huh? Mm-hmm. That had a moment.
4: Maybe, maybe. I mean, you lose Collective Company, or, like, this is probably not better than collected company. Yeah, I, I I also kind of feel like Heliod combo in in modern is like a little underexplored.
2: But people got so scared about prismatic ending, and and now they're gonna have leyli- Leyland binding might be floating around too, which which hurts the uh, you know the Heliod part of that as well. But you know that is a core that's floating around there that will probably have its day again at some point in the future. Can we talk about electrostatic infantry? You didn't talk about it too much on your on the you talked about just for a moment on the video that you had. Uh, It's one in a red for a one two dwarf wizard with trample. And it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you put a one one counter on electrostatic infantry. So it's sprite dragon, but with trample and not haste kind of no flying. Um, What what were you thinking about with it with this card? Because it did it was kind of like rated for you a little bit. Do you think it's just like aggressive mono red kind of prowess spell potential or?
4: yeah so i I think um while while we're on the subject of pioneer i think this card is great in pioneer um where one big issue for mono red pioneer decks is that they have a hard time meeting a density of wizards to play wizard's lightning and this being a wizard is just a a very good playable wizard i think is a really big deal Uh, i think the trample is like maybe even more relevant in pioneer than it is in modern i I do also think that I've, i've been actually playing a ton of prowess decks in Modern lately. And I think that they, there's a ton of very interesting ways to build them. Um, like like when you had Is It Prowess, I think the way to build it was super obvious with Stormwing Entity just being so resilient to the best removal spells in the format, Lightning Bolt and Fatal Push. But now once they printed like five or two or three removal spells that were so good against Stormwing, that card really fell out of favor. And so now you have a ton of different ways to build the Prowess deck. And one of the good ways to build it is Mono Red with Underworld Breach. Underworld Breach is... Very, very powerful. This is a really good card to pair with it. And, like, one of the biggest issues with the mono-red version is, I know this is going to sound kind of crazy, is that you kind of have to play Ragavan. I know why you have to play Ragavan, but I think Ragavan sucks in the Prowess deck. It is just, just has no synergy. Ragavan is so much better when you're pairing it with, like, efficient counter spells and discard spells, and you're one for one your opponent out of, a, like, a longer game rather than uh, just trying to make giant creatures like you do with Prowess. And I think I think infiltry is, is somewhat interesting in that shell. I do think that the you know an issue is that it's like it's less powerful, I think, than Sprite Dragon and Modern. I think it's and Sprite Dragon is also like like I think less powerful than Ledger Shredder and like the blue-red versions. But if if this does make the home anywhere it's gonna be in like that mono red mono red version
2: yeah why why do you have to play ragavan in the in the breach version
4: yeah i think you need like 16 threats so like okay. so what most let's do is like i think blister coil weird having one toughness at one one is like too bad in the Ridden six formats ragavan obviously also has one toughness but it has like higher upside um so like for the most parts you're like playing Soul Scar Mage, Dragon Regis Chandler, Swift Spear, and then Ragavan is that extra threat. Yeah. And um I think that infantry may be better than Ragavan. You can also just like this card also may be worse than Kiln fiend, but like having having trample is pretty big, being able to like mutagenic growth on your opponent's turn keep the counter is pretty yeah. big. Yeah, no on- um, onboard trample yeah. is
2: huge in any of these creatures. It's the same reason yeah. I was interested in the battle you know, the battle bird or whatever it is, p- because it brings its own trample with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Definitely.
4: Yeah, I, I like the card a lot for sure.
1: I mean, most importantly, it looks like you, Dave. So, <laughs> I mean, it does kind of. Did, did you see
2: honest. that in
0: my notes? I I, I did. <laughs> that was like the main reason I put it in here.
2: <laughs> maybe that's like. Maybe I should just get a stack of those, and we could swap that out for dive down in our Patreon packages. I'll just sign it and throw it in. We don't. We don't have to send out dive downs anymore.
1: Perfect. I love it. All right, let's talk about Shore Up for a quick second. I know that was in your video. It's, Speaking of Dive it's Down. It's kind of the anti-Dive Down. Um, so it's an instant, and target creature you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains hexproof until end of turn. Untap it. Uh, yeah, I can't... If anyone who's playing Limited is going to get blown up by this a million times. Yeah, I, I think the card
4: is maybe going to be like... The more I think about it, the more I think it's sick and Merc where not only do you just get to... Protect your Burktides, Ragavan Shredders, whatever. You also, it, it is also like a crazy combat trick that no one will ever play around. At least, at least early, you're just going to be able to like untap your Birktide, untap your four four Channelers, untap your Ledger Shredders, and eat your opponent's attacking creature for one mana, which is just pretty sick. Interesting. So I'm not sure that's going to make the cut, but I like the more I think about it, the more I like uh, shore up. I'm like even like higher on it now than I was when I recorded the. Video. So it's
2: really the untapped part of it that is in mo- the most interesting to you I think it's a combination yeah. like a, a
4: plus one plus one hexproof untapped like all three things at once is pretty good yeah
2: it's a nice extra piece that uh dive down itself doesn't have right like dive down just saves your creature but this lets you turn that this card into some other value if you're kind of in a situation where you need to so that makes a ton of sense
4: what are your thoughts on changing the name of the podcast if Shore Up ends up becoming just like a staple? Uh, and <laughs> that's, that's
0: our secondary podcast. <laughs> we we've purchased too many plastic deck boxes to ever do that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, the deck. Do boxes. you see my hat? Do you see my hat? Ever yeah.
2: my mm-hmm. dive down hat that I'm wearing? We 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 can't get the hats remade to the Shore Up too. Yeah. Well,
4: maybe I'll start the Shore Up podcast. Oh no.
1: yeah, you've got time It'll for that, done. right?
0: <laughs> Tanner, I will end your career if you do. <laughs> I'll pay them double. I'll pay you double. <laughs> By the way, we need
1: to send you 200 deck boxes to yeah. give to all your friends and family because <laughs> please take these <laughs> My, deck wife, boxes. Is My wife wants them out of here. Yeah. Man, while we're on cards, I actually kind of want to play G2 Amplifier. Oh, I like that card. One in a red. I mean, cause one in a red. Uh, human Wizard, one, two. Kicker, two in a blue. Uh, if it's when an ETBs, if it's kicked, you return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. Uh, more, perhaps most importantly, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, G2 Amplifier gets plus two, plus zero. So this is basically f- a worse Festival Crasher, unless you're playing Is it right?
4: I don't know what Festival Crasher uh, is. Cr- I was thinking worse kill. Uh, Festival
1: Crasher is a 1-3, uh, but does not have the kicker. Mm-hmm.
4: So, I see. Well, what's
1: the what's the creature types on that? Because human devil. wizard is also super relevant. yeah, so, yeah this, this is definitely a wizard. Like, mm-hmm. is it wizards type thing? I think, or like a a, a red aggressive yeah. deck maybe? Because festival crasher is kind of what is used in uh, the popper mono red decks right now. So I feel like you have to be able to take advantage of the kicker, or you're just playing a worse festival crasher, right? Yeah. So do do you guys see any application of this? And like, you know, is it wizards? Yeah, I think in Pioneer, like
4: it gives you that can, can give you that density of wizards for wizards lightning. Um, in in modern, it does have synergy with Harmonic Prodigy, which I think Harmonic Prodigy is a really powerful card, doubling up on the wizard triggers. You also have the bond, but that card stinks uh, compared to Harmonic Prodigy. I've yeah, been waiting um, for that card and, to be good for yeah, a while, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, most of the cards are like this this slide of the video, are like cards that are you loosely on my radar, I'll usually have. Like five or six of them, a set, and usually like one or two of them will end up actually making it into a deck. I don't really think get to Amplifier is
0: one of those cards, but it it might end up surprising me. This just feels like like some of the cards we've been talking about the last few are limited cards. Like good in limited. (laughs) They might like see a little bit of standard play, but to enter the constructed fray, yeah. Like I don't think they do enough.
2: Yeah. Amplifier will probably be Picked up in pauper for people to try to mm-hmm. get value out of that character that's a good point yeah, though, yeah you know and so i think the wizard thing is a point is a good point as far as uh wizard's lightning goes and things like that
1: not the a last card, card
2: though what's that no way i just double checked to make sure yeah it's not it's an uncommon um yeah i mean i don't know if i have too much left on my list other than this i mean there are a couple of cards that i'm curious to see if people use as a one or two of like air tie i'm like is that gonna pop up somewhere just because it's a good card to have come into play you know it has powerful come into play effects um but i don't know where it would go and i don't know why we would use it so i'm kind (laughs) of like it didn't end up on my actual list but i'm like wow it kills something it kills something or counter it does drown on the lock basically when it
0: comes in which is you know reasonable can we talk about academy lore master
1: what does that card do stan
0: Blue, blue for a human wizard, two, three. At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player may draw an additional card. If they do, spells they cast this turn cost two generic more to cast. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like this is like just sneaky and not necessarily sneaky good, but (laughs) it feels like this, like this, and something like Narset Parter Veil is like an interesting way to maybe make sure that it's not benefiting your opponent too much but could in some cases in my mind, like maybe benefit a control player that can't play sweepers, like maybe in a blue, black or blue, red shell. Ever, you on this card? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm not,
4: I'm, I'm not a believer. I think, I don't know. There's just like, what I really dislike about this card is you have to be a, 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 a like you said, a control deck that's playing almost exclusively at instant speed. And the problem is, you're a control deck that's all of a sudden interested in a two-mana 2-3. Two, you know what I mean? Like, that is a, the kind of card that I think you're a little bit less interested in. These cards scale pretty poorly in multiples. And the biggest issue with this card, too, is if you also just run into an opposing deck that's playing mostly at instant speed, the card has an incredibly big downside. So I think, for me, the combination... Like, like this card is, like, awful against Merktide um I, I think for the comp for me i think this makes the card probably not going to be much of a, a a real thing in pioneer or modern i could see it being an interesting limited card for sure but for for me it's not a card that i uh have a lot of faith in well that's too
1: bad stan you'll make it work stan i know you will let's uh yeah. on day one day one of the Format. day one baby <laughs> let's let's tie a bow on this and i think let's let's just talk about First, Everett, what are you most hyped to brew around and to play with in uh, Dominaria United? Um, I'd say the card that I'm most excited for
4: is Aether Harvester. That's the name of the card, right? Yep. Channeler? Okay. Yeah. Channeler? Right. Yeah, yeah, Channeler. Aether Channeler. I think that I've, I've been loving the Bank Collected Company deck. I love these kind of like modal value (laughs) flicker cards Mm -hmm. they're just always really fun to play uh founding of the third path i think is definitely the card that has the most brew potential i think that it's definitely like one of those kinds of cards that after you put it in the obvious shells reanimator mill pioneer prowess you can find some more interesting broader applications for the card or some more some more obscure ones
1: got it and uh what about you stan like what are you hoping to get from this set so i have two hopes
0: what I really want, above all else, is for this set to add more playable decks to Pioneer without yeah, actually killing nice. any archetypes. Like I, I'm more interested in seeing new decks in Pioneer than I am in seeing new decks in modern. Um and especially like we got three potentially impactful lords. I would just love to see tribal decks become more of a presence in the format in general. But even if it's not that, just like anything that changes maybe the terms of engagement could be a welcome addition in a format that I think right now is very divisive. Even on the podcast, like we're somewhat split on the format. And I think having more decks could bring more people to it, especially as it becomes more relevant for competitive players ahead of something like Atlanta and just in the future period. And, And also in terms of it being eventually accessible on Arena and increasingly accessible based on how they're curating the format there. The second thing I would actually like, in terms of modern, is just fun tools for fringe decks. Less interested in new decks altogether, mm-hmm. but I want like toys for things like mono-black Coffers or Bant Blank or maybe even Tribal Strategies. The kind of stuff that's on the fringes of the format that maybe has a harder time competing against some of the more impactful cards that have defined it for the last year or so, but can make it potentially more accessible for players who don't want to play a Yorion deck or don't want to invest in Ragavans.
1: i feel like this is a really good set at that honestly like i feel like we talked about a lot of cards that are just like hey this is a cool card probably has a deck that makes that deck better and potentially pretty good and not anything that i think is like oh crap this is going to break the format this is going to really mess things up and i'm pretty happy about that what about you dave so one weird thing is, I really want to play with Liliana the Veil and Pioneer.
2: Oh, uh, so that's a bad maybe man. the first, the first thing. Yes, maybe I'm a bad person because of that. And then I guess the other thing is just to really see what happens with um, with Leyline Binding. That's the thing that's the most interesting to me is to see like as that permeates through the format, if it really is as powerful as it is. If people start trying to do weird things to be able to play the card, like totally agree with what you said, Everett, about not really being able to brew around removal, but I'll be curious to see if people just try to stretch a little bit more than they should <laughs> to be able to
1: use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's funny. It's like we could just see Blood Moon get actually better. <laughs> as everyone's yeah, that's the weird thing. <laughs>
4: that would be that would be so good. That would be so nice. I didn't think I'd ever say that,
1: but <laughs> I miss Blood Moon. Just play Rhinos. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Everett, thanks again as always for being on the pod it's been too long we'd love to get you on for a strategy episode you know, maybe some of your new brews that you come up with that are doing well in the coming weeks once we uh, get Dominaria united we can have you back on when you have some time uh, until then where can people find you on the internet if they've somehow listened to our podcast but never heard of you where are you Oh, I'm on a uh,
4: Twitch and YouTube, uh, under the name Aspiring Spike, and then I use my uh birth name on channel fireball soon to be TCG player, Everett Mohan.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot. They got they got purchased soon to be eBay, you mean? Well, we'll see. <laughs> soon to be
4: uh Aspiring Spike Incorporated, I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, no, we're buying eBay. <laughs> yeah, a
2: subsidiary of the dive down podcast. We're working on it. Everett, it was great to see you. Hopefully uh I, I came out in the middle of you guys talking about Atlanta, but hopefully we can catch up down there at some point if there's a little
1: bit of time yeah more i'm way more interested in the gathering than the magic in atlanta i'll tell you what because i don't think i'll be playing much i'm just gonna be with the microphone on my hand
4: i'll i'll try to be there if i'm not uh cute but if i'm cute i'll definitely be there
0: and that wraps up this week's show if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and if you use apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review of course make sure you're following jesse on twitter at titty pills and aspiring spike wherever aspiring spikes are served if you'd like to submit a question to our podcast or just reach out to us in general you can tweet at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show you can do so over at patreon.com slash the dive down shout out to mana traders for sponsoring the dive down if you use promo code the DiveDown15, all one word, it will get you 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using the down 15 to get 15% off your first order. And as always, save some money on paper cards over at NerdRageGaming with code Dive8 for 8% off your order there. Special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and have a happy Labor Day!